Time to add personality to your office or home. Goat Guns offers a wide range of miniature gun models that are fun to build and display. From desk decorations to conversation starters, our realistic die-cast models are sure to impress. Choose from a vast selection of historic miniature firearms such as AR-15s, AK-47s, and 1911 pistol. We have greatest of all time support and a 90-day buyback guarantee. Order your Goat Gun at GoatGuns.com. Welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple and Better. I'm JP. I'm Gareth. I'm Steph. I'm alive. We're on Twitch. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. <laughs> it works, I think. If the audio is slightly off, I'm going to apologise to everyone. Uh, we've had a few technical issues uh, so far in setting this up. I've well, been sat here like, you know, for the last hour and a half or so trying to work this out. It's all gone fine, everyone. Yeah, just two hours of sitting here. Already. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, I missed I, I missed the end of Arsenal Aston Villa, which was absolutely awful, but I didn't see any of it as a result. So I'm I'm kind of glad for the technical issues that we had early on, Benno. It's probably not the worst. Uh, don't do yourself a disservice. Well, I'm glad I got some company. Well, there you go. Yeah, good to have you on again, Steph. You're gonna uh, set the chat alight again. Uh, I think we're only just recovering from the controversy the last time we had you on. Absolutely, and and I'm celebrating. I have a little bit of the bubbly in honor of a certain man. It's not real bubbly. It's MS, not Jericho, but it's going to keep me going uh, because it's been a big weekend, a big weekend of celebration in the world of wrestling and beyond. <laughs> yep, plenty of that to get into. Feel oh. free to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking. I'm looking at the chat because people are losing their minds at a, a JP shirt. Here, JP, do you want to explain what it is? Really? I can't Ooh, see huh? any of this at the minute. What's going on? Because I'm looking at a Prime Video advert on your Twitch stream. <laughs> he looks a lot younger than I expected. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> what shirt have I got on? This is a um, Mecha Shote shirt. Uh, which is, sorry, there's a delay in this stream, man. It's fucking with my head at this point. This is the problem with technology, and that's why it's fundamentally evil and ruining all of our lives. It's a, a Toshiaka Kawada shirt hmm. on here, so you get the Mecha Show tape bit and the badges and all that stuff. But I'll certainly take the young comment. Yeah, keep that stuff coming. <laughs> uh, he, didn't say, he didn't say you look young. He said, he said Someone he else say, earlier did, Gareth. They did. No, no, no he didn't say you Younger look than young. you. He said you looked. He said you looked younger than expected. So maybe expected that you were going to look about seventy, and you only look about fifty or something like that. So, wow! <laughs> Fucking what? Am I like Christian Bale in the Prestige, putting on some sort of outfit. <laughs> well, what we no all should chance. be wearing, we should be wearing like grapple merch, Gareth. When are we, when are we going to get that out? You know, I've I've, I've got that hoodie still from uh, for the love of wrestling. Um, it's a bit worn now, to be honest. That you can't really tell there's a grapple logo anymore, but I feel like there's money in that. <laughs> 2021, the year of grapple merch. <laughs> when can the start, world hopefully gets a bit more normal, yeah, can start spending some of this fight, uh, fight kickback, and uh, spend it on some merch to sell. Oh yeah, yeah, we've got a, 
actually got to thank everyone who's uh, who used the the grapple link uh, to to order full gear. There was uh, quite a few of them uh, who helped us out, uh, so that was that was good to see. Uh, it keeps the lights on at Grapple Towers, doesn't it, Gareth? Which looks uh, looks lovely this time on a, on a Sunday night. Yeah, it does. Look, so if if I like angle it down, you'll get lots of kids' toys and shit like that all over the floor. So I won't be <laughs> just on the screen at any point, like. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, hugely appreciated everybody who ordered using that link and. Yeah, like Benno says, it's just a little kickback from fight and it just goes a little goes a little way towards server fees and what have you kind of thing. So um pay for that extension, mate. Helps well, everyone out, it does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> Twenty twenty-three, that is. <laughs> oh let me just stand to the sort uh, we got oh. It's the first time we've done this. <laughs> JP, talk about Trump. Fill some time. Filibuster. Oh, right. Is that what I'm doing? I'm literally filibustering. So what should I say about this? Um, He's gone. Thank God. (laughs) He was a genuine threat to democracy. That was the key thing. Get rid of him. Save the arguments for fucking afterwards. I watched too much of that election coverage. Um, Went onto a political podcast to talk about it. Hmm. Did my best to sabotage it halfway through with my kettle. Um, (laughs) So funny. Which I really did try hard. It was such. It was really good. Very serious conversation mm. um, about what what's gonna what's gonna potentially happen in the two months building up to the end of the election. Like Jesus Christ, um, I was all done with election coverage by Saturday when they announced it. I went right, just gonna watch some wrestling. Just gonna concentrate on wrestling for a bit. So that's all I've done. It's been politics and wrestling. No, I really enjoyed the Will podcast. Like, I just thought, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a dummy when it comes to this politics stuff. But you know, listening to you guys, you and uh, you and our uh, Arsenal fan uh, over the waters, rich fan. Uh, that's the, that's the podcast I want to hear. To be honest, you two talking Arsenal politics, wrestling. I think there's money in that. Fingers crossed that might be coming up. That like that there, there could be some sort of crossover with that. We were both watching Arsenal versus Mulder in a simpler time when they weren't losing at fucking home at Villa. And uh, we were watching that simultaneously. I had that, I had CNN going on, and then I had this four-way Skype, five-way Skype conversation happening at the same time. It was multitasking. Not like Steph, though. You speak to, like, FTR, (laughs) don't you? Yeah, I did speak to FTR this week. Spoke to everyone this week. I I did speak to everyone this week, but first... I spoke to FTR ahead of the biggest tag match of all time. And they were lovely, lovely men. I thought um, they were really nice. And then a couple of days later, I spoke to Anderson and Gallows and Rocky Romero, who were also lovely men, maybe a bit more fun. But, you know, that's not knocking FTR. But, you know, Anderson and Gallows would be pretty fun on a night art, I think, especially Gallows. And, yeah. He's mad with the red wine, isn't he? Blood. Is he? Yeah, I remember watching a shoot interview and I was just fucking lashed up to the gills. Fair play. It was that <laughs> Bullet, Club, Bullet Club merch at the time. It was just them yeah. getting pissed with a younger Tamatonga. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and then I uh, rounded off the week by speaking to Sasha Banks. So that was good. How's she? She's great. She couldn't say much about The Mandalorian. She's great. <laughs> That's only going to be a cat. I've been watching The Mandalorian. Yeah. I suspect it's going to be a sort of, it looks like a sort of bounty hunterish type cameo yeah. that they'll do towards the end. Yeah. It's yeah. full of all that stuff. It's a hell of a role. I would say that. It's mm-hmm. like, but look for her to be going down that, that world. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, my favorite was when you were chatting to uh, Anderson and Gallows and, and Rocky Romero, who was like a nice little uh, surprise in your interview. How shocked they were that there was a girl who'd listened to Talking Shop back in the day and how apologetic they were that you'd listen yeah. as well. Because you hear some things on that podcast, to be fair. It's like being on this one. Little do they know you do you've done stuff with us. So. I know. I should have been like, oh, it's all right, guys. I go on grapple and it's pure filth, usually brought by me. You know, if they heard if they heard my last grapple appearance, they wouldn't have been apologising. That's for sure. But um... should have asked them if they knew what an otter was. <laughs> I reckon they would. I think Anderson's quite well educated. You know, he's a man of the world. I think Gallows would would probably know. As he well. is Rocky man. though. Rocky seems very innocent. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, but I did used to listen to the original Talking Shop. There's certain certain wrestlers certain wwe wrestlers i can never really look at the same again after some of the talking shop stories that were told so that that was a good the original talking shop was a good a good podcast that spawned a lot of things oh yeah (laughs) and their talking shop mania 2 sounds like it's going to be interesting there's a ball for a ball match what's the rules um the rules is that one opponent has to take the other opponent's balls (laughs) I think there's a running from um, Scott Steiner does a running. I'm pretty sure because I asked them something like, "Was there anyone that it was hard to explain to, or that didn't want to do it?" And Gallus like, "Well, explaining to Scott Steiner that he has to do a running during a ball for a ball match was pretty unique." I was going to say it when he didn't have that fucking big tiger with him because you don't want that big tiger in a ball versus ball match. Definitely not. I was going to say as well, he's more suited to maths problems. Is Scott? <laughs> like if you're giving him kind of like kind of like role play stuff he's 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 gonna struggle but we reviewed that didn't we yeah we reviewed that one. when i was on yeah. yeah that was my idea ben i thought it was jp but it was actually me that wanted to talk and shop a video <laughs> review it was more than willing weird. to kind of sit there and, and and watch any of this stuff says no, the person who sat through an entire Qatari pro wrestling show. <laughs> That's it. I think we need to like get into the business of running our own wrestling shows. I think we can do better than like ball versus ball. I feel like we could do, you know, throw in a few like, you know, spotlight specials, throw in like some of the, uh, I don't know, the bear versus otter match. That could be like our main event. Uh, we, could, we could make some money. It would be in that. <laughs> Somebody in the chat said that they want to... Um, they're going to do a drinking game every time we mention the name Will Cooling. So I feel like Will Cooling would be one or the other uh, in that match. Uh, I don't know. Will Cooling would be into that. <laughs> no, Will Cooling can be the referee. No, Will's, Will's doing the twink on a pole match. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wasn't that on at Power Struggle on Saturday morning? Saturday morning. <laughs> hey. We've got a bit of that. Uh, oh, I was going to ask, before we get into the, uh, the wrestling stuff... Uh, Gareth, uh, you were fuming before we pressed record. Uh, yeah, there had a good night in the uh, the old fancy football tonight, Gareth. All, things all things all well. Everything no, good. I fucking haven't. I, I fucking haven't. I've been listening to that fucker too much about Arsenal, banging on about Arsenal, Ooh. and uh, the, I thought, yeah, yeah, he's a good, he's that a good fucker. week. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> the um yeah the, the old free hit was played this week with a uh, arsenal su- supposedly looking good at but look at the back uh good and solid at the back there so got a bit of leno in got a bit of bellerin in brought a bit of abamyang into the midfield what have we got shite <laughs> it, it, it was the only benefit of having tyrone mings and jack Grealish in that side of just getting those points but it was it was i'm not liking what 
FPL is doing to me, to be honest with you. It's making me look at results like this, where normally I'd have been seething coming onto this show, as I have been in the past. Now I'm going, 12 points, you know, could be worse, every cloud. And I shouldn't be thinking like that. I should be seething. I should be shouting about Lacazette missing an absolute sitter in the first half. You know, but that's, this, this game does something to you, doesn't it? It's not good. Uh, uh, definitely, especially especially when I used that like free hit this week, and I was like taking Alexander Arnold out of my team, Salah out of my team, and Manny out of my team, and it was all just like one big double bluff, really, just to try and like make Liverpool actually get points against Man City that I'd be disappointed about, which did actually happen with Salah and Manny getting a goal and an assist, but equally left me seething at the end of the day at uh, good old Aubameyang. <laughs> We were saying, Steph, we should uh, we should definitely get you involved. Just saying, Steph, yes. we should get you involved. I'll be like Rando Bart on post. Rando Bart, and I feel like there's people like in our in our league who would still do worse. Like I feel like uh, fancy football is really just a game of looking at the numbers, working out like who's on form. That type. You don't actually have to watch football because I, in the past, I've barely watched any football um, and and still done well in, in certain fancy football leagues. I feel like you could put us all to to shame there and. Uh, and come in the Grapple League next year. I think even if you joined it now, you'd probably start doing better than I'm doing. <laughs> oh, well, if you invite me next year, I'm willing to try it. Better enough. Have a, who is bottom of the Grapple League at the minute? I'm just going to have a look. Is it Tony Khan's live? Because that guy's not doing well. <laughs> well, it's... The, yeah, the cousin of the great... I'm glad I didn't put Lookman in my sign. I tell you, I'd have been seething if, he, if he'd actually started in it. Nope, it's um, Big Tone's cousin Sunil. He's uh, he's off the bottom seven points so far. What did he get in total this week? Twenty-seven. Fuck me, he's picked some plays. Well, I I think the two Arsenal defenders might might have been a mistake, but that's just my thought. No, uh, bottom is Heather Griffin, um, who's had forty-six this week, so she won't be bottom for long. There we go. Sorry, just completely up that dates that. Alan Cheapshot fourth. I know he is fifth bottom at the minute. Like. 32 points. You had Van Dyke, Alexander Arnold, Willian, Danny Ings. Yeah. And he had Aze at the on the bench from Crystal Palace. You're loving this, Steph, clearly at this stage. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm that, fine. I've got wine. It's good. That's, it's all good. Um, yeah. Herbal tea. Not the other kind of herbs. That'll be in about approximately five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we have to, I think if the video ever goes to black at any point, that's just we're uh, we're censoring so that JP doesn't get in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what they don't know won't hurt them. There you go. Yeah, we had your lads on screen before, JP. I was enjoying that. Can they not join us for the podcast? It's a video podcast after all. Uh, we had, we had they, kids no, on they... as well. Family affair. Sadie was on. <laughs> not teenagers, mate. They sit there angry. <laughs> and then just like, especially during the three 0 he just kept on coming in at the start. And we'll test this call, just going three, three. Living, I was like, mate, you got years of this, <laughs> years of this kind of rage to come. It's just like it will, it will subsume you. Don't forget, this is a uh, this is a wrestling podcast, Benno. So I don't think we need three underage people on it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're not a Brit Rest podcast anymore, <laughs> lest I say. <laughs> We've moved away from that. For no reason. <laughs> Did anyone do anything good for, uh, for Bonfire? Did you? Uh, you know, anything like that? Oh, well, no. as if I'm going to be celebrating Bonfire night. <laughs> I don't get it. Why is it a thing? Like, like, I know we're wrestling fans, so like, I can't really like speak too loudly about it, but 
explosions in the sky? Like, is that is that is that is that something worth like going out for? Like, even Halloween. I don't get Halloween to be honest. The whole. I feel like this is a this is probably a dangerous thing to say as a wrestling fan, but I do kind of feel like Halloween is for children. Uh, I don't really understand why people get really excited about it. I hate this time of year. I just can't wait for Christmas. I want my festive bakes and I want Christmas to come. That's all I want. I love Halloween. I felt really sad this Halloween because it's the first Halloween in about uh, maybe 10 years where I haven't dressed up or gone out or anything. That was very sad. Halloween is not just for children, Benno. You've obviously never experienced a great Halloween as an adult. And if you want to do a joint costume next year um, to try and get into the Halloween spirit, we can do that. <laughs> Do um, going as Dick Togo? Yeah, we're going to stick Togo and evil. You're evil. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know I've got the Dick Togo costume, clearly. So you're going to be evil and we'll do your makeup and it'll be great. be great. And now, if you two want to go as. Uh, as I'll go as Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> you go as Bam. I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to get flames on the top of it. I'm going to try and right. build myself up into being an athletic big man. That was criminally underrated. Yeah. And is Gareth going as Luna? Rick Rude. No. <laughs> <laughs> I go the Muslim. <laughs> Growing that hair out. I can go that. I can go that uh, leather shop in Liverpool Central Station and get myself some uh, red leather trousers and a red leather jacket and go as Jay White. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> that, that's the site we need to take you to, JP. The the, the leather shop in the city centre. Like that thing's been there What's since like, before a time. It's like the. That's Weird shop, all these sellers, like leather jackets, maybe leather pants, other leather items. And they're in like the most busy area in the city centre. And somehow they've been open since like the 1960s and they're still open to this day. There's just a bit. Drugs. Maybe it's drugs. <laughs> or maybe people are just really into leather. Is it? It's, it's, it's like leather as in you're buying like a standard leather jacket. It's not all kink, is it? Oh, no. I mean, maybe that's the back room. Maybe that's an excuse for one. Maybe in the back. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. I mean, you don't know these things until you try, I suppose. But, I mean, yeah, it seems a bit like kind of 80s, 90s, sort of like a big leather shop in the middle of Liverpool. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Hey, visit next time you're up. Mate, always. <laughs> Love Liverpool. <laughs> Although that one street outside that Silla Black statue and just like state of that street. God. Oh, this is Matthew Street. The world-famous Matthew yeah. Street. It, we were on a double J trail, weren't we? Tranmere. <laughs> you know what? I bet that leather shop, I bet that leather shop has got a white leather sleeveless um, <laughs> three-quarter length kind of... It wouldn't surprise me one bit if there's one of them in there. So uh, you never know. That that could be a that could be a cover art for your Jeff podcast. Get yourself one of them. I'm thinking about... I've been doing some research into early Jeff, refereeing Jeff. That's where, that's where we're at. <laughs> Find out some shit about the family. It's a it's a weird deep dive, but we're in a lockdown, so fuck it. We can lose our minds to shit like that, can't we? Oh. We've got too much time on our hands. That's the issue. We all do, don't we? <laughs> that's why we watch seven hours of wrestling in like little over a day. Well, I was gonna say I I've, I've been trying to like talk Steph and WH into starting a fashion podcast. You could be the first subject in your in your Jeff Jarrett leathers. Uh, WH was impressed with uh, with Jay White's uh, red leather jacket on the on the New Japan show set, but I, I know you were a big fan. I feel like there's a lot of mileage looking I, at wrestling fashion. Like there's a lot of hits and a lot of misses. There is like wrestling fashion throughout the ages, but even modern wrestling fashion, there was some stuff on Full Gear that I was questioning for sure. But um, 
I'm here to defend Jay White's red jacket. It was awesome. He's going to make red jackets cool again. He's going to take that back from Michael Jackson. And he's going to be the one leading us forward with red jackets. As long as that's, as long as that's all he takes back from Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I thought the red it just it brightened him up. It was it was good. It was good. Gato, on the other hand, not so much. Um, the most stylish man in New Japan is still Dick Togo, though. So he's a, he is very, very wolf pack, as I was as I was saying last week. I think the old the old red and black there. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, got the old wolf pack look going on there, which uh, again. It's one well, of these seeds that lead to nothing, but uh, for me, it's like, oh yeah, here you go, here's your little seed for the uh, Bullet Club storyline. And that was Wolfpack, Wolfpack Jay. Yeah, if Bullet Club breaks up. Jay's bit would be the cool Wolfpack bit, and Evil's bit would be Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> Brian Adams. Yeah, Horace Hogan. <laughs> it really would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that Yujiro is basically Horace Hogan, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, somebody's got to be Horace. You need a Vincent as well. Do you? Do you need a Horace? Did you need a Vincent? I'm not sure you did. Do you reckon those lads realised, like, at the time? Like, when it was like, oh, yeah, we're literally, we're taking all the cool people out of the group and we're doing, like, this Wolfpack elite thing. Um, so now your stable mates are Horace Hogan, Vincent, Stevie Ray, Scott Norton. Yeah, you know, all the cool guys. You kind of be like, hmm, I think something, I think I've been told something mm. here. I think that's one of the times that Big Kev got one over on Hogan. Hmm. Because he was like, no, we're going to do this like kind of intra-NWO warfare. And he probably thought, all right, who who will you take? And he just thought, he probably thought, oh, you can take Conan. He thought, you know, she's a shit wrestler. But yeah, we'll we'll get him to do some sort of standard K-Dog style stuff. He got all the cool people. All the rest of the muck went over to, to the black and white. Even Scott Norton, who I don't mind, but fuck here now. Like, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they would have given a fuck. Like I, I think they'd have been selling that black and white merch, getting that, uh, getting that uh, percentage in their paycheck at the end of the month or at the end of the year, and like, fuck it, the proper, proper old school, uh, old school wrestlers. Them lot chase the money. Oh yeah, you always did. That's what it was. They always needed someone for the house shows, didn't they? It was like Hall and Nash and that weren't working the house shows. So like, just throw an NWO t-shirt on like Michael Wall Street. He can be in the NWO. Big Bubba, he can be in the NWO. That works. And just just so when they come out on the house, the music that. hits, the fans will love him. You always need that bottom rung. That's that's going to be a dark dive, isn't it? That sort of 99, 98 WCW, is, it gets bad. I mean, 2000, everyone knows about how absolute <laughs> shite that is, but fuck me. It was bad for quite some time up to that. Compared uh, to modern day Raw, it looks good. Yeah. Oh, that is true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Like, again, just the incredulity of, like, being able to kind of, not just, what like, pay attention during it, I think. Like, I think if I watched Raw, I'd be asleep. Like, if I went 15 minutes, I'd be absolutely flabbergasted. But we've said this many times. Yeah. I think that about, like, that wrestle talk show that you do, Steph, I think you've uh, you've looked out there being the uh, the Thursday guest, getting to do uh, Dynamite and NXT. Um- and not be in the Raw reviewer or the SmackDown reviewer, because that is... I mean, I don't know. The likes of John and Way and, you know, Meltzer and Alvarez and that, how they do that every Tuesday and Saturday morning, I don't know. You get all the fun. Yeah, it's good to have something actually good to talk about, because with, like, Wednesday nights, at least one of them is usually good. Usually, like, Dynamite's amazing and NXT's pretty good. So at least... (laughs) 
And also both shows are only two hours anyway, so it's not a three hours vlog. So yeah, I definitely got the best night there. Yeah, I deserve it though. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're watching one WWE, NXT all right at the minute? I didn't see yeah. the Halloween Havoc show. Yeah, I wasn't too into the Halloween Havoc show. I know, but people were. People basically told me off because they thought it was better than Dynamite, but I'm not very much like into all the gimmick stuff and whatever. So I thought it was a bit silly, but generally NXT is, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's certainly the best WWE show. Though SmackDown's pretty good at the minute. I think the thing is that wherever The Fiend goes, it's terrible. So basically the best thing that has ever happened to Roman Reigns is actually Smack or the Fiend moving to Raw so he can be on Smackdown without ever having to encounter that idiot and he can be on Smackdown doing an actual proper storyline <laughs> and it'd be good whereas on Raw you've got the Fiend and you've got Alexa Bliss playing Harley Quinn wearing stupid contacts in her eyes it's awful it is the worst wrestle crap ever <laughs> How long has he been going? He's been going on a while. The Alexa stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know this is obviously a callback to all the yeah, other it's like stuff a and callback stuff, but like officially, I think only about a month. But I I caught Raw this week, and there was just a ridiculous, ridiculous segment where Nikki Cross was talking to Alexa Bliss's back and saying, like, you you know, we used to talk all the time. You used to be my best friend, and then suddenly Alexa turns around and she's got stupid contacts in and Nikki has to act like she's seen a monster it's so bad what kind of fucking show is this it's mad isn't it it's mad because um it, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense it's, it's written by a mentalist I suppose isn't it yeah but when then when you watch Smackdown like they're you know they're doing the Roman thing which uh, like I personally think is really good and then they're doing the whole Buddy Murphy, Aaliyah Mysterio thing, which I know people have a lot of problems with, but I mean, they're, they're at least trying to tell a story there. Mm. But when you watch Raw, it's, like, it's, it's just, um, you know, an awful, awful man and a woman with awful contacts in doing <laughs> some of the worst acting you'll ever see and taking you into a different universe that just shouldn't be happening oh, I remember, sorry that's my rant on WWE there that's that's all the WWE that'll be on the show so we're, we're yeah. alright on that front it <laughs> took all of like five minutes it's our recap isn't it like I know we're the largest wrestling company of the world ah are they yeah I suppose they are but yeah it's like imagine, imagine I always say this like imagine like in the Premier like imagine in football the Premier League was the worst of like the football leagues in, in the UK or imagine like any other mm. sport where like the most, I know it's not a sport, but the most famous company that everybody knows is also the worst. You do forget yeah. though, they are out there like these Raw and Smackdown fans. And like, anytime I have a slight go at WWE on Twitter, you know, the Alexa Bliss <laughs> and the Bray Wyatt avatars are coming. Like that's the, that's the true sign of someone who like, okay, this person doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about is either one of those two avatars, but there's still fucking thousands of billions of them out there. I just don't know though how they haven't given up like we all have at this point. It, it, it happens everywhere though, doesn't it? Like you've got to think, Mr. Blobby went to number one, you know, <laughs> you know that was, that was the number one selling single, uh, you know, Oasis, you know, um, oh, I won't go into that again. But, you know, Babylon Zoo. Ta you know, ta ta really good. Ta really 
Titanic, you know, Titanic as a movie, like, you know, going the, uh, the box office sales that that did and stuff was, like that, you know, it, it's, it's out there. It's, 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 it's not just, it's not just wrestling. There's a, there's, there's absolute bilge going and uh, selling, selling loads and been the, uh, been the leader in every genre of entertainment, you know, so uh, we'll be happy to just stick there with our independent movies and our unsigned bands that we, uh, that we enjoy so much. I was going to say, I can remember being like 12 when Titanic came out. Was it, it was 1996, wasn't it, Titanic? And like, yeah, no, 97. 97, so it would have been 13, even worse. And my mum, she was like, oh, this, this big film's come out and everyone says it's great. And she made this point of us all going to see Titanic as a family at the cinema. And I was 13 and I was mortified. And like, we all went, we all sat there and watched the thing. She all sat there. I think I eventually, being a moody 13 year old, made sure I went and sat like the other side of the cinema. Because to me, it was like, oh, this fucking, this romantic Kate Winslet thing with, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Ah, it's going to be terrible. And I've got to be honest, 13-year-old me kind of enjoyed it. Now, that might be the Kate Winslet um, scene where she gets painted by Leonardo DiCaprio. I was 13. <laughs> but I will defend Titanic. I thought it was all right. At least you weren't sat next to you. I knew where you were going. <laughs> when I went to see that in the cinema, I'd have been about 19. And there were just people fucking sobbing around It was me. an event, mate. And I hated every aspect of that. Mate, as soon as I saw that pint of Guinness, I went, this film is fucked. I'm not happy about this. That is not a pint of Guinness. <laughs> um, I was cheering on the iceberg, frankly. <laughs> uh, people fucking sat there sobbing, you know, shaking like shitting dogs watching the screen. It was only when the hair went, right, now we're fucking sucking diesel. Let, let's crack on here. <laughs> She could, he could have got on the on the board as well. Let's face it, he could have got on the board. I refuse to accept that he couldn't have. Um, he was, yeah, it's an awful film. I hated it. The Celine Dion song, and it never went away. The people visiting the grave of the of the character, what's his name, Jack. Oh, was he real? Dawson. I didn't know that was based on a real Dawson. story. I just thought it was made. There was a real Jack Dawson on the boat, and there were people visiting a grave. That's kind of great. Now, for all we knew, the real the real Jack Dawson could have been shooting women and children to get on board one of the lifeboats. We don't know that story, do we? They're turning up to the graves fucking crying and giving him flowers. Absolutely hated that film. Avatar the 3D, but that was shit as well. <laughs> Aliens, on the other hand, that kicks fucking ass. That's when Cameron knew what he was doing. Oh, so I'm laughing at him, cheering on the iceberg, supporting the heels to the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was a, a Mooter fan. I was a Rick Rude fan. You know, that's what I wanted. I was going to say, somebody's called uh, Titanic the, the ultimate warrior of camera movies. I think that kind of works. But oh, like wow. I was going to say, though, JP. Yes, you liked Warrior. <laughs> Prick. I never, li- I never liked him then. And that was, that was even before all the other stuff that he actually thought and fucking said. Hey, Gareth will know this. I've sullied his app with uh, WrestleMania 6, Hogan Warrior. Five stars on the grapple app. A rare five stars I give out, you know. It were you know, maybe modern day it wouldn't quite be uh, NXT UK Walter Ilya, but you know, uh, at the time, classic match. Oh, I, t- I tell you what, as much as as much as I hated the Warrior, that match was. I've probably gone close to that. I think just for the just for the occasion, just for what it was, for what it meant to eleven year old me or something like that watching it at the time. It felt like the biggest match in in wrestling history at that time. So um, yeah, I think uh, I don't think the kids these days will get it. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, I'd, I, I, I'm I'm with you there, Benno. As much as much as I'm not a fan of uh, the Warrior, oh, 
Oh, Hogan and their, uh, you know, and their problematic um, <laughs> backstories, which have since uh, since came out in more detail oh, of its time. Like, oh, what an occasion! What a match! I was going to say, Steph, are you a Hogan Warrior fan? No. <laughs> no, I was trying to think if I was if I was to give a match five stars for the emotional nostalgia and how I felt as a child, I'd go for Rock Triple H. SummerSlam 98 Intercontinental title ladder match would be my like five star for the emotion and the investment. It's got a distinct. It, it was. I remember it from the time. China low blow up the ladder. Yeah, after Mark Henry comes out, that's trip. That's when Triple H was like very sympathetic, trying to get this Intercontinental Championship. Like those, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. Then he got married, and I don't know what happened after that. Then. Yeah, you, yeah never, you never really heard of him again. He's he got a low profile. He, you know, in a completely unrelated move, he shot to the top of the card. <laughs> we don't even question and it t- And then told us he did it all by himself. Yeah, we don't even think about it. He don't fucked we? his way to the top. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, we don't think about it because um, if it was the other way around, we'd never stop hearing it. We once with an article defending the Bellas... And so many comments for the, from the men were basically saying that, like, Nikki slept her way to the top because of John Cena. I'm thinking, how many of you are commenting this on Triple H articles? Because seriously, <laughs> if you want to get into that, like, <laughs> but no, no one questions that, no. And ironically, both of the kids are only there because their parents slept together as well. <laughs> so, like, sex has caused this horrific company in the way it's run, hasn't it? The future we're going to have when Vince dies, and it's happening soon. Triple oh. H is taking the reins, and we're just going to be like, okay, that's fine. At least it's not Vince, and we'll all live with it. I don't think that'll happen. I think he'll completely swerve him, and he'll be left in a just upper management role, but with no actual power. And they'll bring in someone that knows nothing about wrestling, or just sell it to Disney. Yeah, like some like Disney exec who doesn't know what they're doing. Um, that's always my yeah. thing about like Impact because I know, I know. Obviously, you love it, JP, and uh, and you two Gareth at moments. But like the thing about Impact is, we all go, oh, we, we kind of do the whole LOL TNA type of thing. But if you think about it, like literally every reasonable, like apart from the people who were working for WWE, everyone who was anybody had their chance to run TNA. You know, from your Bischoffs to your Russos mm. to, you know, Ferrara around to what we've got modern day with Don Callis, the Jarrett's. Like, they kind of ran through a who's who of, like, people who could theoretically run a wrestling company, and they all did terribly. Like, I think I think what we've maybe learned mm. is unless you've... Uh, big Tones are, you know, shooing for, for Booker of the Year this year. He's uh, Maybe he's the the exception and the, uh, yeah. the, the one genius we've got, but... I feel like there's nobody there for that role anyway. I think it's going to be like, it's going to be a TNA situation. It's like, oh, even though Vince is dead now, it is still crap no matter who's running it. You're forgetting, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Was was TNA good when Jeff was in charge? Always come back to him. I'm not saying it was no. good, but he's but he's just he's, he's loitering there, just in the background. He's a I think when when Vince was going to get banged up, wasn't he in the early nineties? Jerry Jarrett got brought in there. He's obviously got some uh, in his head there. There's clearly something swimming about that he thinks those uh, he thinks those Memphis ideas are maybe aligned to his vision or something like that. I think old Jeff's just doing a quiet little job in the background there and just ready to just uh, take the big chair maybe, and that would be a. I'm sure Triple H would enjoy that. <laughs> So what you're saying is maybe if Andrew Yang comes in, 
and Vince gets in trouble in terms of the independent contractors. He's got another Jarrett to step in this time. He just won't need the fucking net brace, basically. <laughs> he'll, he'll be able to step in, no worries, at that front, won't he? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, Good old Jeff. It always comes back to him. Well, and do you know well, what? We beat him, Benno. We we jumped into that man didn't charge us for a photo and we photo bombed him and it felt like you know very I, I bet that hurts him to this day but he thought that's a fucking tenner that <laughs> tenner could have been mine <laughs> came in here the, taking the piss these lads <laughs> oh, that's our Jeff he'll uh, like I say it'll be the cockroaches and it'll be Jeff and he'll be run running WWE I think yeah that's the one in the early two thousands the two enemies on the internet were mm. Triple H and Jeff Jarrett. We've all forgotten about Jeff. It's gonna be him. He's gonna be. He's gonna be the new Vince, the new heel for the uh, for the new millennia. Um, but it's like, there's been a lot of sort of TNA nostalgia over the last couple of weeks, though, hasn't there? Ever since that, ah. ever since they gave out the the app for the weekend, there's a wave of it going around. JP, is, is there? <laughs> Are we not seeing it in the uh, in the uh, in the impact ratings on uh, on Grapple on Gas and Gareth? <laughs> We're still getting ten people. No, no, no. <laughs> It's, it's definitely not. It's definitely not translating. <laughs> I'll say that. Well, and, it's... and after my bold, I'm going to go with 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 impact. After that last one, I'm out for a while. I'll, I'll watch the pay per views, but I'm not following the weekly TV. I think uh, I, I didn't see it. Uh, I didn't see it last week, or was it the week before? But it was like the whole who shot kind of angle kind of thing, and that's. Uh, that, oh, was... Johnny Bravo! Yeah, yeah, uh, that's. Uh, that, that, uh, I'm out for now. <laughs> I will say though that they're making connections, aren't they? Impact again around the place. Oh, they absolutely are with uh, Don Callis and with New Japan as well. Oh, solid segue, because yeah, that was uh, that is the, uh, the the next thing we're going to talk about, and you know, it's Impact. They always find a way. Like there was those stories at the original All In where. Tony Khan was like the mysterious money man that rumours had gone round. He was looking to start a wrestling company and literally all in, he was hiding from the representatives representatives of Impact and Anthem because he just didn't want to get into the company. <laughs> he knew what the, uh, what the damage would be if he did that. But yeah, we're maybe we're, we're, uh, we're sneaking in because yeah, we're going to talk uh, full gear now and there was a, a representative of, uh, of Impact on that show, you know, Don Callis with his little, uh, little Impact banner. It literally named him as such uh, in the opening match, so... There's always a chance they'll always win their way in and always find a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, let's uh, let's talk that. Let's talk uh, full gear. We're going to talk uh, New Japan a little bit later on, but let's get into that. It was last night, so it is the uh, the big story. Um, and yeah, apart from uh, from Don Callis, I think there's uh, a lot to uh, to sink our teeth in from this uh, this AEW show. I've got to be honest. I, I was saying on Twitter last night, it was for me trending towards being maybe my favorite AEW pay per view ever. Um, I had a couple of people name some, you know, some of the other pay per views, like you know the first ones, and you know the last year's All Out, and you know there are Double or Nothing, the original Double or Nothing, but there was maybe Revolution. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, they've had some strong pay per views. I think we we forget because the last one was a little bit weak, but this one, as far as like a, it was basically a little four or five match run where it was looking great, and then it went off the cliff just a little bit, in my opinion, uh, at one point in the night and. Didn't fully recover, but all in all, fantastic pay per view and yeah, another uh, a long one. Uh, I'm pretty tired uh, today from uh, from staying up for that, but you know, uh, a good another good entry from AEW and yeah, I think overall uh, a really uh, enjoyable pay per view. Um, Steph, I believe you were uh, you were up late for this one. 
yeah, I was up really late. I watched the whole show and then I stayed on for um at the conference. Tony Khan doing his video call. Yeah. Yeah. I got to ask Big Tone a question, but life highlight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was very exciting. He was great. Um, I think he comes across so well, you know, when he's doing these things. He re- he really does. Like I can't imagine Vince sitting, you know, smiling away after a show like that. <laughs> taking questions um about everything that happened so big tell makes good impression but i thought like i think uh, because i rewatched it today i think it is the best pay-per-view of 2020 i wasn't sure last night and then me watching it today i think it is the best pay-per-view of 2020 high praise uh, i was a trend for that on grapple gareth well i mean i think with the scores like I've, I've been having a look at it and i was just you know i was just trying to see how it balanced out with some of um some of the different other other events that we've had in there and like rather than try to take like an average score i always think like all right well how many like top top end like matches have we got in here like how many matches have we got over a over a certain level so like uh, like i was looking at things that were like where there's the number of matches that have averaged out at like 3.75 and above and there are this year there's been like 14 events where there's been and there's been like matches, three or more matches with with three point seven five or above. So like, there's there's been quite a lot that have had like decent rated stuff. But then when you go, okay, let's like take it up a notch and maybe like let's draw the line at like three point nine and above. So you know, I always think three point nine. It's essentially it's essentially four at the end of the day, isn't it? Kind of thing when you've got an average over a few hundred people. But there's only five events this year that have got three or more matches with with three point nine or above averages of that and. Full Gear is one of only two that have got four matches, which average out at three point nine or above. So you know that's pretty uh, pretty high praise. The, the other ones, NXT Takeover Portland. Um, funnily enough, like I, I was quite surprised by that. But thinking back to that, that was a fucking good show, and there was some, you know, there was some really good matches on that. When you look, when you break things down, Wrestle Kingdom's probably impacted by the split over the two days. Like both days of Wrestle Kingdom. We've got four matches which average out at 3.75 or above, but only day one has three matches averaging over like 3.9 and above. So even like Wrestle Kingdom drops below it as a as a as a result of that. And then the other stuff, it just it's those quality G1 days, those A block days, days 13 and day 17, where we had the three bangers there. But you know, as it as it you know, as it looks at the minute, if we were like at taking things and looking at the numbers on the app, basically the the card of the year is going to come down to NXT TakeOver Portland or, or AW Full Gear um, right now. Jesus, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, where were you on it, Yeah, as an overall show? I really enjoyed this. I'm, as an overall show, so I didn't watch it live. I I fell asleep waiting up for match today, basically. And so I watched all of this the next morning, and so I was quite refreshed. And I was loving it. Really, the the extreme deletion match was the point where I thought if I was watching this live, I would have just gone at that point and he didn't need to be on the show. But even with that, there was, and that was the worst thing on there by by quite some distance. I'm including the buy-in with that as well. But I thought for the for the most part, this was like a kind of rock solid show. So if you were giving the overall show sort of a rating on the app, I'd probably be going like four out of five. Like this is this is something that was definitely up there and i think it, it it was the way that the card was laid out which i can understand some criticisms of some part of what people might say about the opener but 
I actually loved the fact that that was the opener to it because I think it just set the tone in a really good way. I was very shocked when that came on as an opener because they were going up against Biden's speech. So I was thinking, what would you put as opener? And then I was thinking, was this always the opener when the card was put together? Like yesterday, was this like slated as the opener or did they make a change because of Biden? Um, Because I think if I was doing it, I would have put something not great in the opener, knowing that people are going to be watching Biden because... You know, it's not really something you can compete with. Um, it's not as if you're really going to be able to pull viewers away. If you're the type that's going to want to watch the first speech by Joe Biden, you're going to watch it, even if it's Omega and Page on. But um, the way the card played out, I actually think the whole structure of it was perfect. I, I, I was saying that maybe for the first half. I do think they had like some <laughs> structural issues towards the end, but... Live in the moment, to be honest, like I had you know, that same thought. Omega and Page come out, and you're thinking, like, literally, that's the time they were sending Biden out to do his little uh, Ultimate Warrior jog uh, to the podium. Um, but it, it, I think, I think he actually came out just after that. So there was a lot of pomp and circumstance first, and maybe they were thinking, get this out the way first, drag some viewers over. Um, maybe that's um, part of the thinking as well. But I think that's part of this show, though, for me. I think. As much as I think it's a really consistent, very, very good show, and I did feel like it was going to be the best AW show that we've had, what it was missing for me was like, I didn't go high, really much higher than four stars for any match. A lot of four stars or near abouts, or maybe just below throughout this card, but I feel like this was the match for me where I had the highest possible ceiling, and I think in throwing it out as an opener, it made it a different kind of match. It felt more of like a, a sprinty opener that the you know it was get in, get out, you know, fast paced. Mainly, kind of the match was built around Kenny and his offense uh, more than anything. Uh, Hamman got a little bit dwarfed, I thought, in there as a result of the way they delayed the match in. But they didn't go for that that epic kind of close to to five star match because of their placements on the card. And I feel like if this was nearer the end of the card, we would have got that, and maybe that would have you know put me over the edge as far as uh, considering it a you know an all-timer uh show for AEW. i mean as far as this match goes i, I still gave it 3.75 um i've seen plenty of higher ratings on the app so i think i'm going to be potentially the low man on this one but you know i did love it i just felt like they left quite a lot um in the can for next time i think there's going to be more hangman page and kenny omega matches coming and this wasn't the big Hangman Page and, and Kenny Omega match that maybe I was expecting. Um, I don't know. Where, where are you on this one, Steph? Where, how did you grade it? I gave this a four rating. I really love this match. And to add with the placement on the card thing, um, you know, when I was watching it, I didn't totally agree with it. But then when I was watching back the show <clears throat> today and I saw everything played out, I realized that it kind of had to be first because both men in the match um, ended up making secondary appearances like Kenny came out during the end of the Young Bucks match and Paige came out as well during that match and then Kenny <clears throat> came out at the end so really there was kind of no other way to put it than um, at the beginning so I think that worked but <clears throat> as far as the match like um, I think Justin Roberts firstly I thought Justin Roberts introduction for Kenny was amazing <laughs> like it really built him up <laughs> like so fantastically that's something I kind of missed on the first watch like actually listening to what he was saying and it was so so good 
Um, and Kenny just looked like his his coat and everything. He just looked like such a badass. Um, not necessarily like a heel, but like a kind of a badass, cool villain type. That's something we've that we've been missing. But their match, the way they worked it, they were so in tune with each other. It was exactly the kind of match that two guys that were a tag team should have. And it's exact opposite of when you see Evil and Sonata. And they seem like two guys that have never met before, let alone like been a team. Um, whereas Kenny and Paige, like the whole match was about kind of how well they know each other really from, from working together. And um, I think the ending was just great. Like it was just Paige knowing he'd kind of got caught and doing like struggling to the very end and then getting taken out. And yeah, I just wonder like, kind of, I, I left my end thought was not, you know, what's going to happen with Omega Moxley. My kind of end thought was what's next for Paige really, but it was a really good outing for him. And he's, um he's really sympathetic and I can only imagine what's next for Paige is more, alcohol basically <laughs> yeah i mean i mean the placement on the card didn't bother me like when it when it started and that was the first match i was like fucking yes here we go kind of thing like i was really upbeat about that and i almost feel like people have bought the pay-per-view already sort of thing they're in they're sold kind of thing and it just for me i was thinking oh this is just a great way to just get things get things rolling and really kind of like set the standard from the off and just you know really lay a marker by these two going out and having a having a great match and you know I've, I, I was teetering between four and 4.25 and and I, I ended up just like nudging it up to 4.25 probably on the basis of where I like late placed some of the other matches on the card where I like came to rate them a bit later I was more thinking like oh, actually I enjoyed that a bit more than than the other one so I ended up going to up to 4.25 but I mean for me it was just that kind of I just really enjoyed the, the the hundred mile an hour pace of it. You know, it was just real. Like they they just started off absolutely flying into it, sort of very aggressive. You know, very very fast. And like Steph says there, you know, that whole idea of them knowing each other and the counters that they brought in there and people going for things and it, it been reversed or things been missed and things like that. So, you know, there was there was just some you know great spots where people were just going for big moves and then somebody would counter it or they'd get out of the way and things like that and I think as well the I mean it's probably described as a bit of a sprint because of the pace that they held and the pace that they held throughout but like it was a 16 minute match you know 16 16 and a half minute match it it still ran a long time it wasn't like it was some you know it wasn't an eight minute match kind of thing where I don't know think of something the great sprint like Osprey Riddle had won it progress you know um you know that was i think it was about eight minutes or something like that yeah. where it literally was a hundred mile an hour kind of thing and it, it was a genuine genuine sprint but i think for me this ju- just showed within that time period they were capable of having a quality match and it left plenty on the table which i think is critically important for them taking things forward you know they absolutely don't want to you know, blow the load on on this in the first match kind of thing because this is going to be central to what they do throughout, you know, um, 2021. And, you know, JP's alluded to me referencing about, you know, where's the where's the five-star match going to kind of come in the future for AEW? But on the back of this, I was just left, in, left thinking, okay, if this is a 16-minute match that's in that four to 4.25 territory, 
you know, when they do go out and they do put that 25 to 30 minute match out there, that's got a bit more layered storyline behind it because the stakes on out there as well with like the world title and, and, and things going forward, then yeah, the, these two together probably do have that potential to, you know, have that real tippy top match, which I think, you know, again, in the next 12 months for AW, that's going to be really important because it's going to get a lot more eyes on the product and it's going to get a lot more people taking them, you know, more seriously, more credibly as well. And and people viewing probably Kenny and Hangman as bigger stars than they currently view them now as well. So for me, it, it did everything that it needed to do. It sort of stepped that storyline on. Kenny looked better because of it. Hangman looked better for it. They left plenty on the table and yeah, like great, great stuff as far as I'm concerned. I feel like it wouldn't make sense for them, you know, to have a five-star match right now just because mm-hmm. of how Hangman's been portrayed. He's basically been portrayed as a bit depressed. And I think the long-time storyline is almost like Hangman like being rocky and building himself up yeah. to when he faces Kenny for that great five-star match and, and wins it. I'm I'm really am the high person on this. I went four and a half on this. Oh, I absolutely Ooh. loved it for a lot of the reasons that Gareth said. It also could have just been the fact that I woke up, I'd fresh, I had a good night's sleep, and all of a sudden, like this match came out, and I was like, oh, I fucking get in. And it was possibly because when I put it on on fight, I saw it was three hours forty three minutes. I went, oh, for fuck's sakes! I was like, oh god, this is going to be really hard work, but. I, you know, it's a lot of the things you've already mentioned in terms of the them the counter sequence at the beginning. I just love the stiffness of it. Um, the the flip off the barricades was kind of scary. There was that one slip, but I was fine with it because Omega then kind of worked it into the match for a little bit as well. Um, and it was just like I love a sprint, as you guys know. And this was like there was one rest hold, which was like a front uh, chin lock that Paige had applied. And I think, oh no, was it Kenny Omega had applied and he was like stretching his legs up. So he was like really working it. So there was no wasted motion in this whatsoever. Um, And the fact that there's more to come, the fact that this is the first kind of proper chapter in their singles feud, I am completely all in on, on this as a feud. I'm even sort of looking past when Kenny beats Moxley for the title and going to that point, which is kind of referencing on to what, what Steph said about thinking about Paige afterwards. That's how much I enjoyed this. I just thought it was a brilliant opener. And that's it. I think, you know, if we're all kind of going, you know, roughly around four stars and, you know, JP, you're a four and a half. Like the, if the future is that this is like the first match of many, you know, where, where are they going from there? You know, um, that's kind of what we've got to look forward to. And I think, in hindsight, maybe I looked at this show as being built around this match, and actually, it wasn't, was it? This wasn't the most important match on this show, therefore, it wasn't treated mm. like the most important match on this show. But you best believe when Kenny becomes like the heel champion, or you know, they go the page route, there's gonna be a big world title match for these two, isn't there? And that's gonna headline mm. the show, and yeah. I was going to say they were so heavy on the on the New Japan teasing stuff, weren't they? That was all the references. And it was like a lot of it really was, this is New Japan Kenny Omega. This is what we're doing. It's New Japan Kenny Omega, which is obviously what they have been doing for a while. And I even thought actually the interview segment they did on Dynamite with the dog, I thought that stuff was fucking hilarious as well. I'm completely all in on this Omega character. Sorry, just interrupted you there. To- 
That's fine. Praise this match even more. <laughs> um, well, moving on, like I said, we were talking the show structure, and I thought perfect match to John Silver, Orange Cassidy. Um, you know, it was a come down from that, but also entertaining in its own right. And I feel like I should just uh, turn this over to uh, to John Silver's number one fan over there, uh, Grapple Gareth in the corner, because <laughs> I'm sure you love this one. I went three and a half on it on the uh, on the app. Um, just a lot of fun as far as like Silver hamming it up as like the the heel getting fooled by Orange Cassidy, and then you know it kind of turned into a really really fun little match, a, a bit of a sprint in it. Uh, in its own right as well. Um, and just a, just a great little match to have on the cards. Not every match on the card needs to involve, you know, big main eventers or, you know, a, a, a huge match. This is just two lower-level dudes on the card, which Orange Cassidy probably should be at this point. Um, in there, and John mm-hmm. Silver being someone who, you know, as you raved about Gareth on BTE, as, you know, he's someone who's been around for years. Uh, I didn't realise that, you know, I knew that he'd been, like, on the indies and stuff, but, like, I'm not going to do I'm not gonna uh, do a full Chikara unmasking here, but, you know, the fact that he'd, he'd been certain <laughs> wrestlers in uh, in Chikara that that, uh, that I wasn't aware he's uh, he's been in the past. And, you know, he's a dude who's been around, but I feel like he's got... A lot of momentum right now, and he's a name that people are really hearing now, uh, and a name that you know you could tell with a live crowd there. You know the the hardcores of the AWA fan base were loving him too. And if anything, my only disappointment was he didn't go over. But maybe that's not his role. Uh, Gareth, uh, did you love this one? Was it good to see your boy get on the pay per view? Oh, I was I was absolutely made up. You know, like I like I tweeted out at the time, like after that. Kenny Hangman match, I was like, there's only one person who can follow this now, and it's John Silver. It was just like the perfect spot on the card where you talk about like card structure for the type of match that needed to follow that. It was uh, it was it was exactly what you needed at that at, at that time. And and absolutely, you know, again, like it's someone who I feel is like building momentum and feeling feel is like building a bit of popularity, and it's through like BTE and it's through some of the stuff that's going a bit like. I don't know. It's it's like subtle and it's a bit more unnoticed sort of thing. So um I was just I was quite intrigued to see how it would translate to being thrown out there on, you know, on the main pay-per-view. Like I assumed it was going to be a buy-in match. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was originally announced as a buy-in match, actually. But yeah, um but um like I mean that that might I mean you mentioned last week, Beto, I'm not like a big US indie guy kind of thing. And I was thinking like as much as I'm into him. I was thinking, have I missed a boat on this? Is this something that people who've been like indie fans of, you know, US indie fans, so you've like known for years kind of thing, have they seen him kind of thing? And then, you know, do this shtick sort of thing. And, and you know, you're a bit late to the party. And, you know, that might be, might be the, the, the case a little bit, but like maybe not based on, on, on some of the stuff I've read. But like talk about building almost like that homegrown talent on a national scale and having somebody that gets that opportunity put in front of them where they can just do their own thing and be their own person and say their own lines or whatever it might be and just knock it out of the park. And like John Silver has just got it in spades. And like, it was, I I was probably thinking, yeah, this is going to be some nice entertaining kind of like two to two and a half star match. It's just going to be a nice little kind of come down after, after that, uh, after that opener, but it really fucking delivered as a match. And, you know, from like hearing me on this in the last few weeks, I'm not big on Orange Cassidy at all, but just the way they clicked and the match that they actually put on, I, I thought it was great. Like, I went three and a half as well, Benno. I was I was really, really into this. And you think, like, like three and a half for this second match on the card, essentially two, like, low-level guys. Like, that is killing some WWE ratings there, you know, when you see the average that this has got on the app and things like that, it's, it's you know, it's beating WWE main events. It's beating, like, 
Randy Orton matches, Drew McIntyre matches and things like that. And it, I think it's like, it's not just people being ridiculous. It's like testament to the type of match that they put on that was like massively entertaining, but it was like hard hitting as well. You know, like Silver was at points was like knocking shit out of him. <laughs> I, was, I was loving every second of it. And then when he's then doing the character work on the back of it as well, and the way that he's like engaged with the crowd and he's just jumping through the camera and things like, like oh, this like, I, I, I just, I can't get enough of this guy at the minute. I think he's absolutely great. And, you know, I'd, it's just, uh, it's, it's it's now just become like the ambition to just, you know, have it. I just want to see him. Like, it, it, typically it would be, I don't know, in the last few years, probably like in the next 12 months, he's just going to elevate so much as a, uh, as a, as a star. And like, yeah, God, I really, I really hope it continues. Where, where were you on this one, Steph? Uh, I mean, this was for me, again, the perfect kind of second match to follow up and, for me as well, maybe the perfect use of Orange Cassidy. Like, I'd rather see him doing this than, like, matches like that Cody match on, on Dynamite. I know uh, you weren't a huge fan of that. Yeah, um, I only give it a three, so now I just feel like a tall bitch, but I'm quite harsh. So, you know, sorry about bringing the average down there, Gareth. <laughs> but uh, I think this is, like, it is the perfect way to use Orange Cassidy. I think they got a bit lost with Orange Cassidy after the Jericho feud because they kind of altered him too much and then they put him in this match with Cody and I think they just got a bit confused with with who he is and I always had the feeling that Orange Cassidy should go after the Dark Order next that that was the best idea for the personality to go after a cult leader and then when I was re-watching today when I was re-watching his match with John Silver then I started like going into deep into my own head storyline and booking about how you know people who get into cults are usually people that are quite lost and like John Silver he's this like quirky strange guy that we've seen and Orange Cassidy's like a quirky unique guy but they've gone in separate paths because John Silver has become this cult follower and Orange Cassidy is kind of totally comfortable as himself so I was thinking that like they need to take this on a arc where Orange Cassidy like manages to in a way convince John Silver that he doesn't need to be a follower he's got it in him to to break away from being in this prison of the dark order where that might be <laughs> might be going see them in. doing that <laughs> yeah because i just felt like you you've just got so much with this guy you do have to break him out of the dark order and i think if you took him on this kind of solo arc of discovering himself the way, in, in the same way that us fans have been discovering him on being the late, like Tony Khan keeps telling the story of how he called John Silver into his office and pretended he was about to tell him off saying, I've been watching being the late and like, what are you doing? Why haven't you been showing us this, you know, on Dynamite? So if he can go on this kind of self-discovery arc, like the fans will be so behind him. And on commentary, they're putting him over so much because he's a, like, he's a short guy, but he's a really strong guy. And I was actually very, um, taken aback by how much his strength and power was being put over in commentary because 
I mean, I feel like if he was in WWE, all we'd be hearing about was how short mm. he is. And that's like, he'd be Shorty John, Shorty Silver or something, you know, and this, this isn't being, being put over. One thing that did make me laugh, though, was uh, it might have been Jim Ross or Shivani compared him to Ivan Putsky. And that just made me think of John and Way and the Ivan Putsky Award. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's not a future recipient of that. <laughs> but yeah, I would say. Yeah, uh, it was a really good match, and it was a a, a very good match uh, to come after the the Omega Page match. JP, the the chatter uh, making sure we know former CZW champion. I've got to uh, throw some respect oh, right. on old John Silver's name. Yeah, he was, um, I mean, at a time when I'm not sure CZW hugely mattered, but you know, he was. So there is that. Okay. Yeah, I I went three uh, three point two five on this. I thought it was like your perfect come down match um from from the opener and it was fun and it you need people on that mid card on that mid card and undercard and john silver while that's kind of where i see him that's absolutely fine he's making the best with with what he has and so you come to that match with a fair amount of goodwill and they're working fucking hard and it's you know they're both good in the ring it's I kind of just looked at it as as far, I could see the measly doing the storyline that Steph's talking about, where it's Orange Cassidy versus the Dark Order. And do you know what? That's fine. It gives everybody something to do for quite some time. It means you're probably going to get best friends versus um, uh, Eva Luna and Stu Grayson matches, which will be fine. Yeah. So there's a whole other series of storylines. And I think taking them out of that title picture, it allows them to still do enough of the kind of silly stuff especially with like Brody Lee as well. So yeah, I this was what I wanted because it allows you to digest that opener. Yeah, perfect. Perfect for the role it was in. Um and yeah, you know, it, mm. it's shown, you know, as we're saying there in the in the grapple off. You know, it's only an average of three point two eight. I feel like it's been hard done by a little bit there. Um but you know it, it was that's it, my fault. It down. It down. <laughs> we need to uh, need to get some five stars in there as well. But you know, just a, a fun little serviceable match. Uh, great character work from both and great for great for, you know, for, I mean Orange Cassidy is always going to be over in, in, in AEW. John Silver second on the card every uh, every AW pay per view. It could be like uh, DDP and uh, and Johnny B Bad back in the day. Let's uh, let's just uh, let's just throw him out second every time. Always the perfect uh, perfect man for that role. Um, but yeah, uh, but, I mean, I mean, I mean, like 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 sorry, like JP says though that I mean, as as high as I am on him, there is a ceiling on him, and it is like mid to lower card kind of thing. But it's having that guy out there who can work, but has also got a strong character who can engage with the audience at that mid to lower level. And then still, I mean, like you say there about, I mean, I, obviously I, I'm saying I went three and a half on it. The average on the app been three point two eight, but that's like three hundred and thirty two people currently kind of thing, giving it that rating like. Like I say, that is a that is a fucking good rating, and and to have lower to mid level people putting on a match that people have enjoyed like that, like that's that's only like testament to AEW, and it's the sort of thing that where you think about people buying pay per views in the future, you know that okay, there's going to be some top end stuff that's good, but it's not going to just be a load of filler shit underneath it. There's actually going to be the guys at your you know lower mid card level who you're going to be invested in as well, and you know they're going to put on a good passable match that makes you think you know what it is worth chilling out this 20 quid or this 50 dollars or whatever it is uh, you know at the time which again that's what 
companies need to do in this day and age. You know, it's about it's about making money, and then you know, if you, if you're making sure that people want to buy something and invest in the moment, then then that's what you know that, that that's what it needs to be. And as long as you've got guys like this, and and especially when you've got guys like this who are sort of who I don't want to say homegrown because they're clearly not, but homegrown on the big stage kind of thing. People haven't they're not ex WWE guys who've you know fell through the system, fell through NXT and things like that. Then again, it's it's only a massive positive for for AEW. So um, yeah, totally uh, totally you know made up with that as a match. But then you know it's great to see it sort of translate to a wider audience through the through the ratings on the app. It's, they've said that's what we're missing from American wrestling, but what we're missing from that's what we've been missing from WWE. It's those mid carders, isn't it? Yeah. It's the dudes who can do this role um, on your show and you know a tier system in a wrestling company. Imagine it. Um, but I think we got it with AEW, and yeah, you need dudes like this on your cards. I mean, we had it, we had it so well in the in the Attitude Era. Like the, all the mid card guys, you knew who they were, you knew their stories, and we're totally missing that. That was always seen as one of the strengths of Russo, wasn't it? Is yeah, that one of the things he did is he actually, <laughs> yeah, you know, broken clocks right twice a day, I suppose. <laughs> um, and one of the things was um, was mid carders and giving them characters mm-hmm. and giving them a reason to kind of exist. And you, you know, occasionally I come back to the whole Dark Order storyline, and I never expected me to have anywhere kind of near to the level of investment that I have. And it's not like I'm absolutely mad on it. But as part of your television product, absolutely fine. Yeah, not an issue with this. And there's enough different directions and nuances, like the Colt Cabana stuff as well, when you throw that into the mix. And, and then you've got the stuff with Silver, and they're not acting like what they were at the beginning, just like generic, weird cult member two and three. And then you've got some of the other ones who still wear masks and take it more seriously. Like, I'm trying to think of the, the kind of taller guy. Um, you know, all of that stuff is, is rock solid. Um, well, moving on to uh, to our next match, and I've got a controversial one here, guys. My favourite match of the night. Uh, I don't know if there's many people who are going to say this, but Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes. And I say that hesitantly. I've not done what you've done, Steph, and gone back and uh, watched this show today. And I feel like I should, because I feel like in like that old school work away, Cody Rhodes cons me. Like This happened last year. Top 10 matches of the year. We did that podcast. I was ready to crown Cody Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes as like, I think I even had it as far as my top five. And then I watched that and I was like, yeah, that was like a three-star match. Like, what was I thinking? And he gets you, he gets you, he gets me, and I should know better. He comes out with this fucking ridiculous entrance with like the fucking, with the stage and the pyro and he's got 30 people with him. And he's like, he's cocky and he's just, he should be a heel. He thinks he should, he's basically doing cosplay Triple H. And his match style isn't a style that I'm even into normally. And I lap it up. And I love every single second of it. And he gets me every time. And he pulls me into his matches. And I do love Darby Allen, So I think that's part of it as well. Um, you know, Darby Allen being the undercard to Cody. You kind of had to almost be the monster here. Did really work for me. But I am suspicious when I come away rating a Cody match as high as I have in this one. I, I gave this one the full four stars. Um, and yeah. You know, it's Cody, so maybe I'll come back and revisit it later and, and think again. But, you know, I think for this, for me, it had, it had great execution. It had a great quasi-heel in Cody. You know, there's no heels, no baby faces anymore. There's just uh, shades of grey. That's what he likes to do. And he was in there bullying the, the smaller uh, Darby Allen around in the match. And, you know, we had the great finish as well, uh, which came absolutely, like, I wasn't expecting. I just thought this was a throwaway Cody title match. 
I didn't even know why this was on the card, to be honest, going into this show. Uh, and then they pulled one over on me, and I was in it. I was with it, with every every near fall and every moment in this match. And yeah, Cody Rhodes worked his magic with me again. Uh, Steph, I'll go to you first. That this uh, did this hold up on a second re- on a second watch for you? Uh, again, is there, have I have I been fooled by uh, by super worker Cody Rhodes again, or is it uh, as good as I thought? Well, I really wanted you to come to me first, because oh, <laughs> I can't hold in what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> So watching it live, I thought, (laughs) watching it live, I really enjoyed it. We watched it today and I like got myself into, like I got so mad invested the second time around, like as if I hadn't watched it. And not only that, I made up an entire story that makes sense to me of what was going on. I can't wait thank you so I rated it 4.25 it is my match of the night Um, it might be my second favourite Cody match ever it might be but I'll need to like really think about that but yeah I love this so much so this is the storyline that I think is going on and if they um, ever run with this legit like Tony Khan can have this for me uh, anytime. So I feel like Darby, like, right. So Cody, Cody is the prince of pro wrestling, as we know, uh, son of Dusty Rhodes, rich guy. He's got this whole gang, around, like the f- Nightmare family is completely swollen. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't have his father anymore. He's carrying that burden. Darby Allen, I think, is Cody's actual little brother who decided that he did not want the family name and wealth and turned his back on it and said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go live on the streets for a couple of years. I'm going to go fight on the streets and you you can like live in the Rhodes Palace. But it's not a question of. Cody saying like fuck you you asshole brother I hate you no Cody's like I love you and I want you to come back to the family because the family we have such a big wonderful beautiful family here but Darby Darby's not like that and in the match I felt like you had Aaron there Aaron Anderson like coaching Cody making sure that Cody wasn't like getting too cocky and stuff um and then like having a go at Darby as well um there were some really really great near fall there, there were some great actual bits like I thought when Cody went to take off his belt and the way Darby ended up tripping him with it I thought that was really really clever um but then at the at the ending it was like Darby this like wild kid whose whole thing has been showing us these frankly silly videos of him doing these stunts and Cody's the technical wrestler with the coat with the coach in the end Darby actually outsmarted Cody and got one over on him um rather than doing something like ridiculous and then at the end when these two actual brothers came together like the way Cody reacted he was like, no, you deserve this. You're my brother. Of course, 
of course you had the technical skill within you. And then Darby's reaction to winning the TNT title, this this alternative kid that would let you think that he's like, no, fuck everything, like fuck the world. He was so happy and made up to have won that title that, you know, he needed that validation from the institution of wrestling. He actually needed that. And it's a beautiful moment. And then I don't know why Taz had to come up out and fuck it up, but anyway. Um, but that is my story of the Cody Darby Allen match. I thought it was epic. Um, and it was my match of the night. Wow. I assume you saw that story, JP, <laughs> and the live time. You, you, yeah, you're, uh, you, oh, exactly. You caught all yeah, the story beats, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> she just read my notes. <laughs> Tell me that that wouldn't be good if they booked that, I, though. Tell me you wouldn't be invested. I. I, I, I I don't doubt it. I didn't see the whole homeless thing though happening. That's, that's yeah. seems like a bit kind <laughs> of. I thought wild. you were going to say son. I'm sure. No, Cody's way too young to have him as a son. He's yeah. a little brother. I'm sure Darby Allen. Dustin's has, son. I'm sure Darby has yeah, uh, slept on the street. <laughs> well, you know what? If he's Dustin's son, that could work as well. We can edit. But Dusty's illegitimate not. son. No. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had him down as Sting's potential son, but now I'm sold. This, uh, this new Rhodes dynasty. God, it's, it's so many of them though now in that, isn't it? It's I, I didn't see that storyline. I must confess, and I probably. I mean, there's a part of me would like to go back and see this again. I mean, I went three point seven five on it, so I really liked it. Um, I just thought it's there's a lot of really interesting dynamics going on here isn't there that you've got Cody as this completely baby face but with these very clear heel tendencies and it's fine and it actually adds to the character rather than being all of one thing or not the other so the idea of Cody going heel you can see it almost at every in every moment which is kind of great or maybe that's just me seeing that in there but I just like the the, the dynamic that was here it reminded you of kind of like the first match with, you know, just the way that Cody was getting so cocky and you had Arn getting angry with him at ringside. Um, the just having the surname back kind of created, I think, this little bit of a buzz. And I will say that in terms of a live crowd, as much as really should it be happening, shouldn't be happening at all. Um, this was the most noise that I'd heard from a live crowd. And I think it really benefited this match. I think it, it, it's that Cody trick of getting a crowd engaged. And they had, what, a thousand people there? They're going to make some noise. And they were all willing to make some noise because they were clearly on a high from the match they'd seen previously. But, um, yeah, I I thought this was like a really good piece of sort of classic professional wrestling storytelling. I think um, when it comes to Cody and the whole, you know, baby face thing yeah he's a baby face but he doesn't always act like a baby face I think we receive him as a baby face because we know his real life story Mm. and even though if you take someone like for example Roman Reigns we know what he's been through in life but I can still watch Smackdown and I don't think about that I think about him playing this heel character But with Cody, I can't see Cody without thinking of him as like the son of Dusty Dusty Rhodes. 
and Dusty Rhodes passed away and he was in WWE and he left to then go do this amazing thing that his dad never got to see. Like, I think that he carries that with him and maybe it's because that actual real life story of him is a wrestling story Mm. in itself. So it's kind of always present. Whereas other things when it comes to guys in their personal life are not um, ever going to be relevant or brought up to their characters. Cody as the character and Cody as the person absorbs um, this, his whole real life story because it is all part of wrestling. I mean, I think it's interesting, like with the with the characters, because obviously, like Dusty was the son of a plumber, wasn't he? He was the working class hero sort of thing, and obviously, Cody's not presented in that way. He's presented as being elite and he's wrestling royalty, and you know, he definitely is. You know, he's presented as you know the way you know the way he wears his suits and his you know his his whole look and everything like that is is presented as something that's a that's a bit more elite. And while I wasn't going down there long lost brother um, storyline when I was looking at it. I think certainly I think that I think the way this match works as the 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 guy who's come from nothing and living in his car and you know going up against the guy who's essentially presented on TV as he's got everything and he's got all these people on his side against this loner who's come from from nothing. I think it's I, I think the story in itself, the way they sort of like conflict against each other, you know, I think it's a real it's a real strong one and something that like I've definitely enjoyed. And obviously it's something that they've done, you know, they've done on dynamite. It's something that's been there in, in, in the, in the past. But again, you know, I was probably a bit critical about last week about where this came from. It felt like it sort of came out of nowhere as it's been like a match on the card, but you know, I'm with you, Benno, like I, I, I give this a four as well, you know, and you know, I might have teetered between 3.75 and four, you know, as I look on the app, the average from, you know, a few hundred people is 3.88. So I'm, I'd probably lay in that territory kind of thing almost that it was better than a 3.75 and it wasn't quite a four for me. But, you know, I think what what really got me was that I was absolutely engaged in everything that they were doing for the entire match. And, you know, I think that that whole thing of Cody having that dominance and then like absolutely like punishing Darby's shoulder, you know, throughout the match, you know, I thought it was just a great little simple story that, you know, worked really well and, like Steph says there, just that that clever ending with when he brought the belt in the ring and he used it to trip him, and you know, you know, it was a near fall off the back of that, but it was just something that um, using his smarts, you know, for his street smarts almost kind of thing of Darby Allen, whereas Cody's doing the whole, I've got my team in there, like in their nightmare family trackies, and Arn Anderson's there with his laminate clipboard, and all, you know, we've we've gone to all the detail and everything like that, and it was that real kind of like butting heads in a, in a lot of different ways, and then to see the sort of the the street smart guy who's been getting fantastic reactions, you know, when you talk, I think JP said there the noise from the crowd. Every time Darby Allen comes out, there's a mega pop, and you know you, that's from a small number of people, and you can't, you know, God, I can't wait to see him with a real proper full crowd, you know, in, in, in next year hopefully. But you know, again, as, as as a whole, I think the story that they told was was fantastic. The 
I think the only time that I was drawn out of it was when I thought like my Kyoda's face was going to explode or something like that. It looked like a boil in the bag gammon steak at one point or something like that. He was absolutely fucked. I don't know if he's been doing any fitness at all or something. But I was I was getting seriously concerned that he was going to like keel over in the middle of the match and have a heart attack or something like that. Because fuck me, the colour on that man's face was not healthy. And um, yeah, Mike, just uh, yes. Get in the gym, mate, because if you're doing a few more of these matches in that heat, you're fucked. <laughs> Joe tell- Sorry, go ahead, JP. <laughs> I know, very quickly, Joe tells a story about seeing Mike Kyoda chatting up some uh, woman at a bar, and he was he was on the source. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that's actually related to his performance in the ring. I just thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said he was wearing snakeskin boots, if I remember rightly. I'll ask him this tomorrow. Man. Uh, I was just going to say that um, Dusty Rhodes was obviously the American dream and he achieved that by the fact that he has a son who can be this rich and live this luxurious life. But Cody's, what this I think will eventually lead to is Cody as the prince, this like privileged position, the riches being egotistical, he will become the American nightmare, which is an egotistical tyrant that mm. wants to take over everything. You don't become the American nightmare, the American nightmare becomes you. That's going to be the closing line in this novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're not different from you. T- show title. There you go. <laughs> what? <laughs> the American nightmare becomes you. Spotlight. Um, I was going to say, that the one bit I did run is I, I did enjoy the post-match. I, I really, I, I, I love Team Taz to disappear. I love that use of like, because that made so much sense on Dynamite this week, where Taz was like, listen, yeah. like, why aren't we on this fucking card? Like, why is Cody working Darby Allen? Like, what? Why is that a match? It was so great. And it was like foreshadowing them coming out. And, you know, you speak, you know, we just talked about, you know, John Silver and to a lesser extent, Darby Allen. But if you're talking about people who've made the most out of their limited time on camera, Ricky Starks in this Taz club. Never mind Brian Cage. You might as well not even be there at this point. Brian Cage is just some muscles. Like, you know, if you want a good version of him, you've got Wardlow. We don't need Brian Cage. But Ricky Starks and him and Taz coming out, such a great angle. Like, Ricky Starks, he's got the look of, like, remember when The Rock first joined the Nation of Domination? That's what he reminds me of. Um, I think Ricky Starks is obviously this personality was coming out on NWA and if you believe people who are watching his indie stuff you know it's been around for a while but he feels at like that stage of his career where he's got that similar kind of vibe about him to rock and I love this angle I love that this, this payoff to I love a good justified heel you know that the Taz was was not happy and they had a good reason to not be happy and they run out they attack Derby the, I almost said Sting then. The attack Cody, who's cosplaying as Sting. There was no Sting appearance, unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, we get the big save from Big Will Hobbs. And, like, that sets up a tag match. It sets up future stuff. Maybe Cody can get involved. Like, you know, I'm bang into it. And it's, you know, for, for booking, like you said earlier, Gareth, that we were looking at going, is this logical? Why is Cody working Orange Cassidy one week and Darby Allen on the pay-per-view the next? They've really made something out of it. They made Darby Allen now as TNT champion, and we've got some interesting stories coming out of it. So yeah, everyone who uh, who gave Cody grief when he uh, when he got his belt back off uh, off Brody Lee, uh, none of us saw this coming. Uh, so I just thought it was uh, some really strong booking uh, at a point where I was definitely questioning it going in. And, and last week, I think I said like when I was questioning this match being on the card. 
I was like, I thought we were working towards Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks. And like, that was what I was excited about. And then now that Darby's got the belt, I'm looking at this and thinking, yeah, fucking Ricky Starks and Darby Allen now for like a good three, six month feud here, like working over that belt with a bit of storyline and, you know, three or four matches in the background. Again, coming from the point of view of let's build some stars of our own and let's give them that platform to do their own thing. Here's two guys who clearly have got it. They've got an it factor that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, so standing them out from other people. Let's give them a ball and run with it. And like, I'm excited. Like, I really, really can't wait to, to see this. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just building on the back of it, like it's, 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 it's really just taking things forward in the way that I kind of would have hoped that it would have gone. And as far as like a, a well-laid-out kind of layers to your cards, you know, Steph mentioned Triple H and The Rock earlier. That's what this could be. You know, I, mm. mentioned, I mentioned, you yeah. know, him being like The Rock, him and Dar- Ricky and Darby is like that lower-card feud that becomes a mid-card feud that becomes an upper-mid-card feud that before you know it, it's main event in your shows. Um, you can get invested yeah. in that. You can get excited about and, the possibility of that. And you know what I, you know what I really enjoyed as, as well was when they had that beatdown with like Darby Allen on Twitter in the week before you'd been reading a lot about, Oh, like Sting's stuff's disappeared off the WWE site. And there's that drawn that whole association with Sting and Darby Allen. And when he was, he was getting battered there, I was thinking, Oh, here we go. This is Sting's spot kind of thing to come and make the save. But it wasn't, it was Will Ops. And I was like, when, when Will Ops came out, I was like, yes, I'm so delighted that it's not Sting, that it's, it's, it's their own guy. They're building somebody new to come and make the save kind of thing. We're not just like leaning on that 55-year-old guy who's suddenly going to come in and like batter Ricky Starks and batter Brian Cage and make them look shit in the same way that in, in the WWE you just get like, oh, let's roll out the honky-tonk man to batter Roman Reigns or something like that. Oh, clearly it doesn't happen. But, you know, <laughs> equivalent of that kind of I essentially happens. Not beyond the realms of possibility. <laughs> you know, you know. It's, you know, in essence, he's, he's our big champ. Oh, here comes the road dog and Billy Gunn to fucking batter them because DX was good 40 years ago or something like that. But it was the, it was Will Hobbs making the save. It was a new guy. It was, let's give this person the platform. And you know that then in the following weeks, there's going to be Darby and Will Hobbs tags with Brian Cage and Ricky Starks as well. And it's, it's, it's going to have some long-term um, forward motion with it all as well. And, you know, again, just, just, perfect stuff from aw for me that i didn't understand the sting talk and the people that actually wanted sting to be involved in that sting would be so detrimental because it's fine to bring in um a legend but sting is too much of a character it would have been a matt hardy situation where we're dealing with this character type like unflexible person that you can't really do anything with that's just a name it would have been terrible but um i like i did not mind the the, i thought the angle in itself was really good my only reason i said that you know then they came and, and fucked up was just because of my emotional investment in seeing these two brothers have a moment that I was just very sad to then see them be attacked, but it's great. And Ricky Starks is absolutely just future star of the company to the point where I feel sorry for Brian Cage. You know, <laughs> I feel like he's like um um he's someone like he's the equivalent of if um someone was like an extremely like a a beauty queen and got like a position and thought that like well no one can touch me and then someone else comes in who's like 
less uh, attractive, but has way more personality. And everyone's like, you know, when you weigh everything up, actually, we'll take that one. Sorry, you've you've been delegated to just stand in there. Like that. That's kind of the position that Brian Cage is in. <laughs> that's an analogy. It works. Brutal, isn't it? No steroid testing in, uh, in powerlifting. But yeah, powerlifting. Yeah, that could work too. Uh, Kate, the JP, the chat asks: Is is Brian Cage Mark Miro? Might be something there. Mike Miro. Don't get that. Well, what am I missing? That I seems really obvious. Maybe, maybe the fact that he's like you know he was supposed to be like a big thing and he's not. You know, if if if, if Ricky Starks is the Rock, ah, he's like wild man Mark Mero, it works. <laughs> you know what he is? He's Brackus. He's more. Brackus he's more. Mar- I I think he's better than Brax. He's more like Mark Henry. Mm, yeah, there you go. Well, strong. If Mark. anything, yeah, as like as someone who you can kind of do these kind of feuds with, and that's absolutely fine. Like, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, a big guy that you can have around. But clearly, yeah, it's, it's Ricky Starks. And and the options, and you guys have, have, have said it already, it's like the options are so sort of big with him and what he can do. But with Brian Cage, I wonder whether or not they're going to turn Will Hobbs heel and have them in a sort of like monster tag team. Mm, they still could, I think. Yeah, they, they could do. I, I love a monster tag team, so any fucking excuse, to be honest with you. I think Brian Cage, like not only does he have Ricky Starks taking the the star power away from him, but as Benno said earlier, like if you want a big guy, you've got Wardlow. And Wardlow is um I don't know how to say this correctly. Wardlow's a big guy in that way where he it's like Brian Cage looks like he's carved out of stone in a bad way where it's kind of like um like almost like a mutant strength type thing whereas Wardlow is just like a really good big guy that can do lots of things and he's also got I like I think he's gonna end up having good personality he's good looking as well so Brian Cage has not only been like taken over by this smaller guy in his own team you've also got like a much better big guy in Wardlow as well, where, I don't know, I think I would have taken a, a WWE contract about him at this point. Yeah. Brian, Brian Cage is the warlord. Sean in the chat has explained that uh, his analogy was, well, if it's Mark, if we're talking, he's Mark Mero because when Mark Mero came into the WWF, he had Sable on his arm, which I think is the equivalent of Ricky Starks. Oh, Sable Vince, is Ricky uh, Starks. Vince ran with Sable. <laughs> I love it. And poor Mark Mero dropped like a stone. It makes sense. Go back, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> moving on. Um, That's a fair shout, actually. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? Uh, next up, we've got a match where uh, going to mm. get plenty of, hopefully, uh, Gareth uh, love in here. Uh, Nyla Rose and uh, Akira Shida. Um Unfortunately, uh, a match I gave two and a half stars, and I'm uh, I'm expecting I'm about to be uh, told off here why it's why I'm so wrong. Gareth, you uh, you're angry at the beast that you created here on uh, on Grapple average of uh, what is it two point seven nine for this thing? Not looking good, but a match I know you were a uh, were a big fan of. I think this this follows the trend. I think with uh, with AEW and women's matches, they they definitely dip like on the app. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me enjoying them more than other people. But I'm always dismayed to have my rating in my head to go and punch in, and then see that um, see that yeah, it's tracking at about a star less than uh, <laughs> the, the, than what I'm uh, planning on putting in. But 
like I think Shida is so fucking good. I think I think the way she strikes, I think the way she um the 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 physical presence that she has, the natural charisma that she has, I think that uh, in this situation, the way she sold as well, like she'd had a right knee injury in this match that she sold throughout that was absolutely f- fucking fantastic the way she the way, the way the way she did and clearly like flew <laughs> flew under the radar. But just this match structure as well of this as the as Sheeda has been presented in quite a dominant way. Like Nyla Rose was always presented significantly more dominant and in previous matches. She's, you know, she's just fucking walked through people. And yeah, when she'd have beat her for the belt, it was, you know, quite quite a big moment. But Nyla Rose was still pretty dominant. Like Sheeda was dominating things here, like pretty early on. And there was a lot of like power moves and strength moves and things. And it took sort of Vicky Guerrero getting involved to um, sort of turn the tide of the match. I thought there's just a there's just there's just a great story throughout. Like as far as far as I'm concerned, I just thought that Cheetah just looked absolutely um, absolutely first class. I think that like one of the big one of the big like negatives I'll have with a lot of um, women's wrestling is that sometimes it looks a bit like. Um, just a bit sort of play fighting almost. It looks too light. It looks too smooth. It looks a bit like I'll have a go, then you'll have a go. And it's sort of like the little reversals and things like that. Just like there's there's no effort and things like that. Whereas I think Shida makes what she does look as real as anything. And I, just, you know, I really feel like that when she's fighting, she's fighting for everything and she's in a contest and she's put, you know, she's genuinely, genuinely trying to beat the person that she's up against. And I, I think that just really like carries through in the way that everything that she does and, and whether that's when she's on the offense or whether it's on the, whether she's like selling and she's, she's, uh, she, she's, uh, she's on the ground. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, that I think the, something that like really resonated with me was the way that like Nyla Rose did that thing where she like pulled Sheeda up when she had her beat and then like Sheeda did the same to her and it just sort of that that confidence and like strength of character and charisma charisma and I'm fucking boss kind of thing just like came across with her as as as, as well I, I just loved the way that she was able to just be dominant and execute like a lot of you know real real power moves and you know just the, just the way the finish worked as well with the the knees from Shida you know I thought I thought it was absolutely spot on you know I ended up giving this 3.75 you know I I thought you know in light of the matches that had gone before it was probably something that was felt probably a bit under pressure really with the the, the quality of of what we'd seen there but it was great it was really really great and I mean one of the things that we haven't referenced there was the the um the buy-in and you know the Serena Deeb against Alison mm. K, which was also like a very very good match. It was you know it's tracking at like three stars on the app, which again for a women's match on in AEW on the app, you know from a ratings point of view is really good. But Thunder Rosa coming out there again at the end as you know with me thinking probably yeah she's gone she's gone for good kind of thing, and I was so hyped for this Sheeda Thunder Rosa feud. And again I've I've not been like all over the internet in the last twenty four hours, so I don't know what the deal is with that if it's you know if if she is side science sealed and delivered elsewhere i'd suspect not if she's turning up on this show but for me like these two can just be money together in in, in 2021 again and in the same way that we've got things like we're we're waxing lyrical about starks and darby allen i can see these two doing it for the women's division as well and you know really building that up as two people who haven't been seen massively on a you know a 
the national scale or come through the WWE system or something like that and, and just really taking things forward. So, um, yeah, awesome stuff for me. And I don't know if, uh, if you're now going to drag it down, everybody else. On <laughs> I wish I had I a stronger feeling that. on it. Like, you watched it twice, Steph, so, you know, with you. <laughs> how about you? Honestly, exactly what you just said. I wish I had that stronger feeling on it. And this, Gareth, you're making me want to watch it a third time. Like, I hope I've made you all want to watch Cody and Darby with my story in my head uh, for another time. Um, yeah, I only give it two stars. I think it's, it, I just didn't have the investment in it. I'm sorry. I think she does really, really good. Um, she's in such a bad position because she's just suffering from not having the opponents. But I think Nyla Rose is really good as well. And there were some great spots in there. One thing I did pick up on when watching it is I thought it was a more aggressive Sheeta than I'd seen before, a more mean streak, um, kind of heelish Sheeta than I've seen before, going just because she was going up against Bigger Heel. Um, and I was very though I was very confused by Vicky and um and Nyla kind of arguing at the end. I was mm. just very confused at why you would take Nyla Rose, who is can, could be such a dominant force in the division, and then have Vicky Guerrero shout at her in that way. That that just really it's like okay, that's um strange, but yeah, their pairing's quite odd anyway. It feels like something they put together and then just didn't really know what to do with because I mean Nyla was starting to come on really as a talker and then they gave her a manager and. Then she got a manager, disappeared, came back and got a title match. So that's <laughs> kind of what happened. But I'm 100% behind Sheena. And I'm, I was glad to see Thunder Rosa come back as well in, in the opener too. Where were you on this one, JP? I went 3.25. I mean, and I've been quite high Gareth on the... There. He's proud of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good uh, lad. Good, good lad, JP. I've, I'm getting I've kicked all... off the app. <laughs> no, no. I've, I've, I've always enjoyed Ikara Shida. I kind of completely go along with that just because she is so fresh and different. And if you think about the sort of Rio title reign, and even though there was like basically people are enthusiastic because it was different at the time, but it seemed to sort of run its course incredibly quickly, never really sort of connected with the crowd in any kind of sort of substantial way. Whereas, I mean, and Hikaru Shida has been unfortunate by the fact that she's it's been hamstrung by not having large crowds there. I think she's done a hell of a job. My issue with this match was all the stuff towards the end. From the point that Vicky Guerrero sort of tried to grab her leg and that didn't come across well, and then the outside bump didn't come across well, you know, there was just the idea as well. There was points, little things that annoyed me, like you're going to try and win a title and then lifting up the head. I got I got annoyed by that. Because I was just like, this is a title match, not a squash. Do that in a squash. I can get that as well. Um, and the sort of post-match stuff, which sounds like I've just sort of pointed out what the flaws are of the match. At the beginning, though, like Hikaru Shida has a way of just her matches. She just starts off and just runs into them, just runs and generally does a knee. And it just sort of goes from there. And even when he goes to the outside, it's just sort of, it, there's a real nastiness and brutality. Nyla Rose, again, improve from the last time I would have to say those kind of little botches that were part of those first few matches seem like quite a way away now and the way she carries herself and 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 she's 
to be honest, I never understood the pairing with her and Vicky Guerrero in the first place because I didn't think she necessarily needed a manager. Because do you know what? She's a perfect. She's a great promo. Really, she is a, like I say, great's probably a bit much. I think she's a very good promo. She's someone who she, um, she acted in the Canadian TV series, yes, I think, before before she got into wrestling, and you can tell that. And like, she's also as well up for taking some of those bigger bumps that you perhaps you wouldn't expect her to kind of be up for taking as well. So yeah, because there was a couple of bits. Like, I think there was like the Falcon Hour off the top, which just looked absolutely kind of mental. So if it wasn't for the kind of the way it ended, um, and, and again, this would be a few that you, they're going to come back to several times because it kind of, it was so new for Nyla to be with Vicky Carrero and now it isn't. It's, it's a strange kind of transition to know really what's going on with her. But yeah, I went 3.25. Got one supporter there, Gareth. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the Vicky <laughs> there, to the end, there to the end, mate. Involvement. I just, I can't get over her being in AW. Like that is like, oh, she just doesn't belong um i think there's a place for her but i don't think that's the place um you know what i i think i'd actually rather see vicky guerrero um basically doing her cougar gimmick again and and paired with a younger guy that that um can't really talk that they're developing that she can talk up jungle boy griff garrison (laughs) (laughs) triangle pair you know, I think something like that, where she can actually work the mic and it would be entertaining as well, is way better than than pairing her with a strong woman that shouldn't need anyone else. Really, yeah. and and I think it suits it would suit Nyla Rose to just be on herself and yeah, as as a heel. Like obviously she's had the belt, but you know she's almost just going to be that dominant, beatable heel who can be used to build other people and it becomes almost that, you know, once they've got through Nyla Rose, then, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a step onto the title as well. And, you know, where she, where she can talk, she's not going to be someone who's going to lead the division and things like that. She doesn't need Vicky Guerrero really. So, you know, I, th- I think it's definitely a route to go down is just have her there as that kind of like stepping stone gatekeeper almost as let's get through this big monster in the same way that in the past someone would have to get through Earthquake or get through Bam Bam Bigelow or whatever it might be sort of thing to get to the top of the card in the uh, in the good old days when there was a there was, there was a tearing to the uh, tearing to the booking sort of thing. So again, yeah, I think that'd be a that'd be a great spot for it. Um, next up, we had a very divisive match. Uh, looking at the the grapple ratings and hearing people talk about this one, I've heard people describe it as five stars. I've heard people describe it as two stars. I went with a solid four, this being the FCR of the Young Bucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of watching this one, quite enjoying it, and then logged on to, to Twitter to see what the, the reaction was from people, and so much extreme reaction in both ways. Um, maybe it's expectation. I don't. I just don't buy FTR anymore. I think I'm at that point. I feel like we all got worked into this tag team capable of five-star matches, and I don't think they are. I think they're a good tag team who can have a good four-ish star match like this with the Young Bucks, but I don't expect five-star work, and I'm not going to pretend it's five-star work. Um, some of the callbacks I thought were a bit hokey in this match, but, you know, some of them worked as well. I thought the overall story of the match worked. I thought the chemistry was good. Like, I felt like those first ten minutes, the Young Bucks felt like, you know, Rock and Roll Express or the Rockers or that kind of young babyface tag team. They were slotting right into you know, the strengths of FTR's structure, and I was banging to that stuff. Like I say, I... 
I really enjoyed it. I went four stars, but I feel like on yeah, on the one hand, we're gonna have listeners who are screaming because I didn't give it two or three stars, and listeners who are screaming because I'm not corking it. I think I it was either Melter or Alvarez call it the one of the the, the best uh, tag matches. Of Alvarez, like yeah. I mean, I don't see that. Uh, maybe one of you guys can uh, can correct me on this. I mean, the average is four point three nine uh, on Grapple right now, so fair amount above me. But yeah, I couldn't go stronger than four. But that was kind of my expectation with this, and it hit my expectations, and I was fine with it. Um, JP, uh, you're saying where are you where are you on this one? Are you a uh, you're a five starer? Are you a one starer? Um, I'm interested. Four point two five. Okay. Which sounds sounds like I'm kind of hedging my bets, but. As good as Walter. Yeah. Um, oh, I still haven't rewatched that, you know. <laughs> shocking, shocking dereliction of duty. No, I, I think the way I felt about this match, so I was watching it, I was out on my walk, unbelievably. I know Steph Conk, the idea of me walking and watching a match on my phone probably doesn't seem like the best way to take it in. <laughs> but like, I found myself just early doors. It was like a lot of the stuff that you said, it just felt like kind of classic tag match. And it was it was fine, but it was following along a trend of being disappointed by kind of FTR at that point. It didn't feel particularly special. But I just think when it hit into the kind of last 10 minutes and it started to go more towards a kind of Bucks match, which was the story of the match, because that was ultimately the downfall of FTR, wasn't it? It was Cash Wheeler trying to do a 450 springboard splash, and that was the thing that ultimately did it in there, which I kind of liked for it. And... I yeah, it just sort of the stakes got raised and it just sort of started to get a bit crazier and a bit wackier. And I was kind of grateful for that. And I was thinking, well, this is definitely the best match that FTR have had. Um, whether or not it hits the kind of that idea of the the kind of greatest match ever is like, no, like it probably will end up ranking what maybe third, fourth in AEW's history, and that's only over a year. Um, but at the same time. I mean, it was it was tag team OTT, but I was grateful for it because we hadn't had something like that on the show, and so it did feel distinctive enough for me, and so I enjoyed it. And it was the I thought it was the Bucks raising FTR up, and I think at times we do often forget that about the Bucks that this version of them, which is the cocky cocky baby faces because they are who they are and they're not this kind of like white meat team they're not not meant to be kind of like that but at the same time the reason that they're so cocky is that they're fucking great and here i thought like they were great there's the idea like a lot of people saying if they a nick jackson like singles run would be great and i don't get me wrong i would love to see it but i think matt jackson's selling i mean it just feels like he's been working this con on us since New Japan about the lower back stuff. And he has been. And it's been a hell of a con, and I've loved it. And he's doing it again, and he, he just... The, both of them together, you realise kind of them as your tag team champs is really what you want to go with at this point in time. You're wanting to put on those big matches on pay-per-view. You've got all these various other tag teams that they can go in there with. You've got FTR who can come back and then blame the fact that, you know, Tully wasn't there and whatever to give them the advice for it. And they were more motivated as well. And I felt like as the match went on, when it started to get more desperate, there was one near fall where Cash Wheeler just comes in completely off camera to break it up. And I thought, like, 
those are the kind of things that I thought were tremendous. So yeah, I I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought I like I like the way it built. Like probably again, it was one of them that you're going in with an element of the expectations around it, and you know it was probably sort of like slightly conflicted in a way, and that there was there was expectations around it, but equally. I was thinking there's no way they can live up to the expectations or what they want to achieve through this match. Um, I think that it started quite slow and there was part of me at the start of the match that was kind of probably preparing myself to be quite like negative and quite snarky about comments comments about it really. But I think it it built and built very, very well. And I think that, that I, th- I think to give FTR the credit, I think, there was a big part in that, you know. I think, I, I think the way that they, um, the way that they worked on Matt and kind of, you know, built that kind of sympathy on Matt really, and you know, just like continuously worked his his leg and ankle, and you know, just sort of really got that over. And you know, obviously, Matt sold sold it perfectly. You know, I think the more that went on, the more you were kind of building for that hot tag for Nick. And then when there was the hot tag for Nick for what a thousand people in that venue i thought it went off its box at the point that that hot you know it was the hottest hot tag that i've seen in quite you know quite, obviously quite some time because there's no fucking crowds anywhere but um you know even going back it was it you know it just had you thinking shit if there was a full crowd in here that the place would have been bouncing absolutely bouncing at that moment now i thought that was a that was a real positive you know i think that they that they they built it in a way that sort that really kind of got you into it and got you engaged with it, um, and you know ultimately it ended up being a very good match. You know, like I'd give it four stars. You know, I think that it was at that level for me personally. It didn't go beyond that level. You know, I think there was there was there was elements to it that just felt like it was just just needed a bit more. And I've probably got my same doubts about like FTR as well. You know, I was just doing a quick sort of scan here, and it's like. You know, if if whatever, if Melter or Alvarez or whatever's talking about being one of the greatest tag team matches of all time, it's currently like the forty third greatest tag team match of all time on Grapple. So clearly, Grapple users don't uh, don't agree, and there's a there's a lot of things of, of, of you know there's a lot of a uh, lot of matches above that that you may be looking at, and you think yeah yeah you're probably uh, probably right. Or there's some much lower profile matches there that you think actually yeah, on rewatch they probably are going to be better than this. But you know, ultimately. It was a it was a very very good match on a card that delivered you know ticked probably seven or eight boxes that you needed it to tick in terms of you know performance on the night and you know moving things forward where it needed to get so you know you can't complain too much it kind of almost feels like mm-hmm. it's it's in a way it's almost like unless it was a pure five-star greatest tag team match of all time, it was always going to be an element of disappointment to certain people. And maybe some people like rate it down on that basis because there had been so much expectation built up about it and not necessarily expectation built up by the fans, expectation built up by the Young Bucks and FTR and the way that they presented themselves and almost presented this match has been some dream match that, Probably amongst wrestling fans, it wasn't as big a dream match as they've built it up to be, kind of thing. So it's it's heaped a load more pressure on the match. But you know, it was it was it was very very good, very good four star match. You know, it's it's rated higher on the app and, um, than that. You know, it's sort of around about that four point two five level. But I don't know. For me, I've mentioned this before, but maybe it was like the reaffirmation to me that maybe American Alpha was the dream match all along. Mm. Mm. <laughs> 
there wasn't an American. You watched. There wasn't an American Alpha spot in this match, was it? Is that the one tag team they did? They didn't give us. They should have come up with like a Ready Will and Gable towel. That might have. Uh, <laughs> that might have this one. Um, where did you land on a Steph best tag match of all time, or not in that league? Best tag match of all time, sadly, but I give it a four point two five. So, um, like that's high for me. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> some of my other ratings. Um, I thought, yeah, they went. They put so many expectations on themselves. I mean, they did it to themselves, both these guys, when it comes to to expectations. And I think the match made up for everything that the um the way the story played out in TV didn't have because the match kind of brought it back to what the basic thing is, is that the Young Bucks um, basically think the revival are a boring tag team and the revival, uh, I keep, sorry, I called them the revival and FTR um, thinks the Young Bucks are just, you know, guys that super kick and like this night and I thought some of the spots were so clever. I mean, I really thought the spot with the chair where Dax closed his eyes was so clever. Um, I loved it, but all the callbacks was probably a little bit too much, but the end of the day like it told it told a good story of um the of ftr just trying to put the young bucks away with their mechanical real wrestling and then in the end having to like resort to try and do a young buck selling and and getting completely fucked for it but i thought that was um yeah as like they said on commentary they didn't they didn't stick to the plan the FTR and it cost them and what I also thought was interesting on commentary is that it was Jim Ross that like ended the call by saying like the young bucks won because they bet on themselves and I thought that was a callback to my interview with FTR where they oh. made a big thing about how they bet on themselves and, <laughs> and I made a big thing of of them making that statement in the interview and then Jim Ross uh, calls that the young bucks were actually the ones that bet on bet on themselves on this night so that was my personal connection so the storyline I made up for this match was that it was all about me <laughs> check out the listener stats on that uh, on that interview and just see yeah. anyone from Rancho Cucamonga or you know he might be out there yeah it was you know it wasn't the best tag match of all time I think um Omega Omega Page um yeah it, it was much better but it was very good and um they they find a way to make their styles gel together but i'm not sure if they as a as two different tag teams could ever have the best match best match of all time you know what i mean i think if you're going to go for that it will be something like an omega and page and bucks I, I, there's just they need a bit more more compatibility and I just think in general, FTR have got a, a, a ceiling for me. Um, but again, I still think it was better than better than the bill gave it. It yeah. probably would have been, you know, if the books were a pure babyface team coming into this, you know, would this have worked better for me? Maybe. Um, like I say, there are people in the chat and on Grapple who were very invested in this thing and and going close to five stars. So if that's th- that's your thing, I'm not gonna not gonna hate on you. Um, but again, I don't think any of us are saying it's a bad match either. I think it's a it's a very mm. very good tag. Um, if not for me, it wasn't the match of the night. But you know, I think for uh, for plenty of people out there, it was.
this is where the show turned on. This is where things went uh, <laughs> off the boil a little bit. I think Steph's going to argue with us a little bit in a, in the match after this, but for me, this was where the possible best AEW show of all time uh, kind of lost uh, its momentum. I, I mean, you know, it's it's half 12 now. We've still got New Japan to look at, so we probably shouldn't spend too much time on it because I feel like we could spend two hours on the problems with this Bahadi Sammy Guevara match, but... Yeah, for me, this just did not work at all. It was late. I was ready to go to bed at this point. I was all hyped up, and I enjoyed that tag match, and I was ready for the final two matches, and it was like, oh, oh yeah, there's this thing as well. And it just felt like a lead weight on this show. It really did. Um, it, it was... I mean, I was into Matt Hardy and Impact four years ago when he was doing all these spots. Like, I've seen people out there say, oh, you know, how creative is Matt Hardy? Oh, look at all the callbacks. Were they callbacks or was he just doing the same shit that he's been doing for four years? I'm not sure. Mm. Callbacks. Like, it was just the same thing that we've seen. We've seen it all. We've seen the fireworks spots. We've seen the Lake of Reincarnation. We've seen them, you know, move into the indoor ring in the, uh, in the Hardy compound. I mean, I suppose that's impressive that we got, you know, matches at the Hardy compound in AWWWE and Impact. But mm. past that, I didn't need this. I enjoyed it. It's a nice out. house. Yeah, it's a very nice house, isn't it, JP? I'd live there with the, with the mm. Hardy Boys, you know. To... Oh, fuck all, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, lot of dangerous... Well, not with there. them. I don't... <laughs> Jeff could piss off. His music would drive you up the wall, wouldn't it? That's it. And listen yeah. to Peroxy YJ. No, it's shit, man. Yeah, so, yeah, Jeff, I'm not... I give up on the art as well while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just stick to the... It, 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 it is a good guy, though, probably. I'll sort you out. <laughs> you go out for a beer, things go south, won't it? <laughs> it's an issue. Um, but yeah, it, for me, this was just a waste of time, and I don't want to spend too much time on the podcast either on it because it really was. It was a waste of twenty mm. minutes of my life that I'm never getting back. JP, you're the Impact fan. Go on, defend it. Nah, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I went one and a half stars on this. All I thought I was when, and it dragged for me, and I was fully awake, and I just thought, my God, for everyone who stayed up, this must have been hard. This must have been the point you just thought, oh, I, I might I might give the rest of this a bit of a miss. Uh, yeah, I, I just think it didn't need to be on the show. As a being on Dynamite is kind of perfect for this. So I don't know why you wouldn't do that anyway. Um, I, I just want this feud to end. Like there's a reference to it being cursed in it. And it was like, yeah, it is cursed. Of course it is. And I think Excalibur at the end went mercifully, this is over. And I was just like, and let's never speak of this again. It was like one of those lines from The Simpsons in order to get around it. I I just, like, I didn't care. And that's really it. I mean, the I just said it wasn't funny on my notes. I was, like, looking at this, like, all this kind of... Cr- it just nothing made me laugh at any stage. It was all the same jokes that you'd heard before. And yet it just sort of became straight-up plunder. It then got, like it wasn't wacky enough which is what the other matches had private party and santana and ortiz getting involved is not wacky that's just like stable mates coming in for a bit of a ruck really isn't it um yeah i yeah one and a half stars i just was glad it was over they clearly did these callback spots to the blood on the back of sammy's head and the rest of it but i was just like please fucking end and it felt like half an hour as well it just felt like ages and i was bored and this is at about what 11 a.m when i watched it so god knows how you guys felt 
I was oh. str- I was struggling at this point. I, I, I really was. You know, I, I think I think I, I certainly wasn't like excited about watching this in in any way at all. And then when they just when the match just kept going on and on and on and you know, like it did last twenty minutes, the match itself, and like that is just painful for a match of this type. But you know, I think for for me, it's just the whole like we've just seen this and we've seen it so many times and like there's nothing new or innovative about it and everything that Matt Hardy's done for me on AWTV has just looked negative and a backward step and it's just looked like a um it's it, it, it's it's almost like something from a bygone age now sort of thing the way it was whereas if you think about it you know like I tweeted last night I almost feel like I'm punished for liking the original or being entertained by the original impact stuff when it when it happened and that was because it was so different and it was so hammy and it was you know it reminded me of like the evil dead or something like that it was so hammy and camp and just like ridiculous and like but now it's just been gone on and on over and over the same thing, like multiple times. Matt Hardy's just doing the same shtick as he was doing that many years ago. It's not funny anymore. There hasn't been any additional funny, positive nuance added to the character in any way. Like, I feel like Sammy Guevara is someone who, up until the point that he got paired with Matt Hardy, was like one of the real hits of AEW. He was, you know, he was, he was really sort of like cutting through the screen and coming across as a real, yeah, again, their own their own character that they've built and grown and bags of personality and bags of charisma and he's just been lumped in with this shit and like oh I was I was just like I could not wait for it to end. I was just you know just desperate to get through the math. I mean God what time must this have been? This must have been like quarter past three in the morning or something like that for us watching this. And you're just like why the fuck am I watching this? And you know literally the only high point for me was the one second when I saw Gangrel's face, and I was like, "Ah, Gangrel, like mm. oh, that, that's good, Gangrel." And then, and, and that was it. And that, that it was that one second, like, "Ah, Gangrel." And, and then I didn't need to see any more than Gangrel, other than just to see his face and laugh for one second, and and get that momentary kind of like high spot of enjoyment out of it. But um, I think at the end of this, you know, I think you said Excalibur saying something, but like Jim Ross said, "Thank goodness it's over at the end." And like he, he obviously was projecting for different reasons but you know i think yeah it was it was definitely um yeah i had i had that down as the greatest call in aw ever because like thank fuck this was over and we were ready to move on to the next thing and hopefully thank like thank goodness it's over thank goodness this whole thing is over and we're not going to see any more of this we're not going to see any more of matt hardy doing this bullshit we're not going to see them try to apply the same principles to what they did with like the the Britt Baker match that they had in the dentist's office and things was shit the bed as well. It was absolutely awful. Let's move on from this and do do no more of this. Let's shove Matt Hardy at the back and um, yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about this. I didn't second watch it. Sure. I also forgot. I also forgot to read it um, because <laughs> it was shit. I was doing my ratings on the second watch, and then because I skipped it, I was like, "But if I, if you want me to read it, I'd give it, I don't know, the lowest rating possible." Because honestly, all that stuff I said about the fiend at the beginning of this podcast, there's no way I could give this much any kind of positivity and say that stuff about the fiend because to me, it's it's all the same. Um, it's another person that's being indulged that shouldn't be really that's actually not as creative as they've led us to think that they are um and it just it's it's 
has no place on a wrestling show for me. And yeah, and um, honestly, I, I even on the night forgot about the match and I really was getting really excited because I thought Jericho was coming out next and then the next thing they go to the Hardy compound and I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. We've got, we've probably got like half an hour of this to go. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's definitely for me the only bad spot on this whole pay-per-view. It was rough and it just didn't need to take place. Um, mm. Like I say, just we just don't we don't need this Matt Hardy in AEW for me. And um, we didn't need this match. Like like you said, we didn't need these to to go again. Just let it die. Let this feud die. That's what needs to happen. And let's uh, let's hope it's at least the end of it now. Um, I hope so, but I I can see Matt Hardy getting another style of that match through with oh. someone else. Luther. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch that, but if it's on dark, it has to be on dark, then I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you mentioned this, Steph. That was the other uh, low point of the show because I think uh, <coughs> I thought MJF and Jericho up next. Um, obviously, much better than that. But I- I'm not sure. For me personally, that the MJF and Jericho pulled my enthusiasm back. Um, I don't know what it was about this match for me. It just didn't land. It was. I either wanted them to go full shtick or turn that angle on dynamite where MJF speed them through the uh, the back of the announce table into something more serious. And we kind of got something in the middle. Um, yeah, it was just a match. I, I felt like it was going to be, you know, a bit of comedy and then, you know, there'll be an angle and then we'll get the real match later on. And to be honest, it felt like they tried to do a real match here. Um, yeah, again, it was getting late in the night. I just didn't want it at this point. I was ready for the main event uh, and it didn't work for me, but... You know, uh, I'm feeling, Steph, you might have a... I went a gentleman's three. I'm feeling you might have a, a different view on this based on your uh, your comments just then. I'm just trying to see what I read. I know I didn't give it a three. That's ridiculous. <laughs> this uh, 3.5. There you go. <laughs> well, okay, this match firstly, like, needed to happen for me because I, I do get very down on cinematic matches Matt Hardy thing kind of it does quite upset me so what I needed was for Jericho to come out basically um and and make me happy again this match maybe this was your problem with it with it Benno maybe you didn't get the story that this match was a match for people that are like fans of Jericho's whole career I thought it was like a great um like a gift to the fans match firstly when mjf had that light up robe i popped so hard for that that was I, good i popped for that more than anything else on the show that was brilliant and i think that so on dynamite we we saw mjf prove to jericho that he had the killer instinct by attacking him and then in this match it seemed like he was trying to prove that he was a technically sound wrestler by working down Jericho's arm to prevent Jericho from doing the Judas effect. So he thought, whereas Jericho was trying to prove to this young guy that he still, you know, got it by doing all his signature moves and very much acting like baby face Jericho. He was a hundred percent the baby face in, in the match and the way he carried himself and the way the people reacted to him. Um, yeah. So I think that MJF, he was showing he was trying to say to Jericho yes I'm a, I'm a great technical wrestler and I've got a killer instinct I'm going to zero in on what's your greatest weapon now the the Judas effect and Jericho was saying yeah but 
do I really need the Judas effect? Because look, I can do all the other great stuff that I've been doing for 30 years because um, I'm still, you know, just that, that great wrestler. But then MJF's plan all along was to do this great um, angle at the end where he, you know, got the ring from Wardlow, but then made it seem like Jericho had hit him with the bat so he could roll him up. And I thought that was just such a great, clever finish because he got the win over Jericho, but he didn't like, he didn't destroy Jericho or he didn't, like he didn't properly beat Jericho, but he also didn't, you know, like fully hit him with a weapon or destroy him in a way in which then they could never coexist. That was like the way he got the win, Jericho, the character that he is, is like, I can respect that. All right man you're in the inner circle and then not only that we get that Wardlow's in the inner circle now too which is so exciting so I really love this match I thought I was I was thinking I would love to if someone wants to make a documentary watch Jericho how he puts together matches because I do think he he thinks about little spots more than other people and I, I would love to have like heard him put together this match and all the spots of this match it was great I think it was a bit of a tribute to long time Jericho fans no one agrees thanks my, only, my <laughs> reaction to that stuff is I said it was a gentleman's three I actually gave it 2.5 I just realised on grapple dickhead <laughs> I went way. two and a half as well you know I did Beto, sorry I think you need to um start like watching shows with someone like me that can explain all the storylines to you so you can like higher up your ratings it's really going over <laughs> my head all this uh, all this deep storytelling the uh that jericho is doing in his uh his plodding matches uh yeah <laughs> look i enjoyed the i enjoyed the pre-match and the post-match but yeah uh, yeah didn't work for me as a match but that's that's what he that's what he was there for I mean, I thought it was a match. It didn't connect for me. I mean, I, I sorry, Steph. I, I, I thought it was, it was pretty average, pretty reasonably just kind of straightforward. I thought MJF was the issue with him is he's kind of dependent on the person that he's in there with and what kind of match they're actually kind of working to. And I think I, I did enjoy the Horikarana spot, um, but the idea of the match was really to have. MJF getting to the inner circle. That was the whole point of it. And it achieved that. And there's lots of really, it's it's a story feud. It's going to end up in, you know, what I thought was really nice about it is it gave the, the crowd a chance to really cheer for Jericho and sing along with Judas and things like that, which kind of then leads you into what we're going to be getting when, you know, he's kicked out of the inner circle and it's MJF's, you know, it, it, it's, I'm fine with this. It's like a necessary step in order to get there. But when you're talking a three hour, three and three quarter hour long show, it's like bloody hell. Another one of these. Um, this is not the match that would have cut from that show though. <laughs> no, God, no, no. And, and to be honest, maybe, maybe Miley John, it could be better if the extreme deletion isn't there and it's not dragging yeah. on. But I just thought generally on the whole, it's, it's a match that had to happen in order for the angle to progress. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. For me, it was very much about like getting from A to B for progression of the of the story. You know, that's you know that was that was the function that it served. Did they do that in the best way they could? Uh, I don't know. Don't 
you know, for me, like I, I'm the same. I give it a two and a half. You know, as a, as a, as a match, I think following up on the back of that after the elite deletion match, it was just. It was just half an hour in the show, them two, or over half and 40 minutes in the show, basically those two things that I could have just done without at that stage. And it definitely, I'd be like pining for New Japan six match cards at, at, at that point, especially at that time in the in the morning. Um, it just felt so slow to me. It felt really, really slow. And like I'm as big a Chris Jericho fan as as, as anybody, you know, like he's, he's been easily one of my favourite wrestlers since his WCW days, you know, is, is, is someone that I'm always going to, you know, want to see and get enthusiastic about see coming out. But, I mean, that match went as long as the Page Omega match. And to me, it felt like it was twice as long or something like that. It was just, it was painfully slow. And what I, what I sort of didn't get with that really was the, like Jericho can still hit his spots. He can still do that Hurricane Runner. He can still do the line salt and things like that, which, you know, the size he is now and the age he is now and things like that, it's quite physically impressive to see him do those things. But the in-between bits between things like that, I felt like I was watching like Dino Bravo against Eric Watts or something. It was just absolutely, it was just, it was, it was, oh my God. it was so, Good luck. It was it was so painful. Hey, she doesn't like Sheeda. Um, it was <laughs> it was it was just pain. It was it was painfully painfully slow to me at times. And and I like the little bits, like you know, I like the MJF jacket thing, and you know, I, I like where it's going, and I like you know for the story. For me, this should have been six minutes eight minutes or something like that just knock through it quite quick and just uh just just get it done out and, and out of there like jp says it was maybe a bit more palatable if the previous match hadn't been on the card or something like that and they devoted this amount of time to it but yeah i mean if if i had known jp that you're watching it in the morning or gareth if you hadn't watched it live i would have told you both to switch up the order of the show and not watch Final Deletion before it, because I do. I do done think, with that advice. Yeah, I do think. Like, I do think for uh, people like us that aren't going to be going wild for a Final Deletion match, that it it is a match that suffered from from the placement, and I mm. think you had to be someone like me that's just going to be very excited about a Jericho match to try and reach that level of excitement during the match and of investment during the match that we all should have been at. But we're all still you know, interested you know what in I, the story, sorry. though. Oh, sorry. What? Go on. I was going to say, we're all still interested in the story. Yeah. I mean, regardless of the kind of match quality, I still want to know where this goes. Yeah. I'm still fascinated to know the dynamics. I'm waiting for the kind of big... Hager Wardlow moment. I mean, and, and I think when all of that kind of stuff happens and it comes to fruition, I just hope they don't rush into it. And I don't think they will. I would have thought that this is Jericho's chance to have a kind of, I mean, there's a good chance he'll end up tagging with MJF. And there's also a really good storyline that's going to happen with, because now Sammy's away from Matt Hardy, we hope. There's going to be a storyline of Sammy being so jealous that his kind of spot as like the favorite son is going to be taken by MJF and that they're going to be really good together as well. Like this, it all sets up so much. Chat's going with a uh, nation of domination. MJF's the rock slowly taking Farouk's spot. 
Like that would be the story to do, and I would be into that. That'd be bang into that. It, it's also kind of similar to the Cody storyline when you think of it in, in those ways, isn't it? It's the kind of buttering up this person, but everyone else can see what shit he is. And mm. although it was a lot like there was hilarious moments where he do it in the middle of an indie ring and, it, and in the middle of like sort of hugging Cody, you turn around and give the middle finger to someone just directly behind him. And it just be like this timing is perfect on it. So, yeah, all of that stuff, really looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the the one thing is, like, you know, I've referenced on on here a few times about how I've enjoyed the fact that Jericho has worked with all the young, lesser known talent as a heel to put the baby faces over, and then I'm looking forward to him doing it on the flip side. You know, obviously this is part of it, putting MJF over, but there's people like Sammy Guevara and things like that that he's gonna with Jericho as the face and Guevara as the heel and things like that. There's gonna be matches where again he can he can elevate those, but on the basis of his in-ring at late, of late, oh, I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit, um, I don't know, the way those Orange Cassidy matches were and then the way that the this one was in-ring, they, des- they, they just need to be giving them less time, I think, because, uh, I don't know, as, as a Jericho fan, I don't like what I'm seeing, like, <laughs> from an in-ring point of view. I'd take a three-hour Jericho pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> would Jericho be able to pull it off? Is the question. Yeah, and he would do commentary as well. Be good. <laughs> he was a bit much on dynamite this week. I've got to say, I love Jericho's commentary, but like for the go home show, I'm not sure we needed that. Um, but yeah, different. Opinion. He was on something. <laughs> he was definitely on something. Yeah. Um... Coffee. Monster. <laughs> Moving on. What your thing. <laughs> we had our main event. Uh, Moxley Kingston uh, I was worried about this one because I love the build the build was absolutely like it was just so simple like that that press call that you were on Steph after the show where basically Moxley was like yeah you know we didn't need big creative we just give us the mic and let us talk and that's literally what they did with this feud um, and Eddie Kingston looked in because you know Lance Archer couldn't work and you know the whole COVID situation but he talked his way in one into AEW and now two into an AEW main event. And yeah, the build to this feud was just incredible. That that promo in Ring this week on Dynamite where they were talking about Eddie Kingston's mom and getting right up face to face with each other and Eddie Kingston has to leave because they've got the stip that they can't can't fight each other. I was so hyped. Like I literally bought the pay-per-view on fight like that day because I was just so hyped. I was like, I need I just I need to make sure I've got this ordered and I need to sit to Eddie Kingston. <laughs> Run out. There's like limited orders. I know, yeah. Like fighting, gonna go. You know what? We got too many in here. You can't come in. Uh, <laughs> we are in the age of the internet. It's not like when you had to ring like Sky TV or Virgin or Telewest or someone and go out and try and put your pay per view order in. Um, I could have got it at any point, but I was so hyped because Eddie Kingston is like just he's gonna he's gonna go down as one of the best promos of all time. I don't feel silly saying that. John Moxley is incredible himself, and we don't talk about him enough. But he was in there with Eddie Kingston, so you come out talking about Eddie Kingston, but I thought he was great as well in selling this thing. And that was my worry. They sold it so well, and it's always been Eddie Kingston's issue. I've loved him. Like, he's one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. Doesn't always deliver in ring. But I felt like they delivered well enough here. Uh, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, with those last two matches I wasn't into, is this going to be great? I went 3.75 stars, you know, but I didn't get, you know, quite hit the four stars on it. Uh, I've seen people go much higher. Um... There's some fashion choices in this match that I'm wondering whether they played into my uh, my thoughts that I'm sure you'll have some uh, strong opinions on, Steph, and I know WH did as well. Um, 
but no, in all seriousness, you know, they, 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 it was creative enough. It was violent enough. The finish, I did actually, I was one of them people who had to rewind and I didn't actually catch Eddie Kingston saying I quit. Um, but it, but to be honest, once once I knew it happened, I liked that subtlety. I liked the fact that there wasn't a mic getting rammed in everyone's face every five minutes. I liked that it felt like just, you know, it just felt like a real fight. Uh, and yeah, I couldn't quite go the four stars on it, but I wasn't disappointed. It was the fight that I wanted. And yeah, I thought they, uh, they brought it and it was... Uh, a great way to end the show. Um, yeah, if we hadn't had those previous two segments, I think I might have been talking best AEW pay-per-view of all time. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I was uh, I was well into it. Uh, where were you uh, on this one, Steph? Uh, I give this one four stars. I was really into it. Uh, the build was incredible. And as you said, like those two in the mic, when I get into the place where I'm like, upset and ranting about how the fiends run wrestling like what i come to is something like eddie kingston and john moxley like that that's what i actually want from wrestling um something as real as that that i can grasp onto and and they they are the perfect antidote to all this fucking fantasy shite that we've been subjected to (laughs) you know recently and um i think that the match it was very brutally violent for a match from a mainstream American wrestling company. Uh, I mean, we even had rubbing alcohol made an appearance in it. You know, that I did not expect that. But I saw some people, so I didn't hear him say I quit when I was watching it live. And I rewound to hear him say it. And I saw some people complain about that. Like that is a, a an amazing positive to do as you said Benner like that salty there's nothing more stupid than an I quit match with a referee following them around with a microphone asking them do they quit the whole time can you imagine being in an I quit match and some dickheads shoving a microphone in your mouth the whole time going do you quit do you quit like no like that's terrible <laughs> it's just so terribly unrealistic it was so much better the way they did it with with Kingston that even as a viewer like you, you're watching it and you like you hear the bell you're left with that lingering doubt because at first I thought I, I actually thought that the referee had stopped the match like in a compassionate way to end this, you know, punishment of Kingston. And then to rewind it back and say, no, like he actually quit. He actually said those words and he just, you know, he said them, uh, he, cause he, he's not going to shout them. Eddie Kingston's not going to shout. I quit at the top of his voice. He's, he's going to say it in a way where he almost hopes he didn't hear it. So I thought the ending was, was beautiful. I like that. Um, Kenny came out um, kind of a, call back to what happened when Kenny came out from Oxley and I think Eddie Kingston as you said he talked himself into a job and now I there's so many places that you can go with him I think they're probably going to go with him and Pac which I think will be really great and this guy has um you know he's made a place for himself in this in this company and I'm very proud of Eddie Kingston he's come a long way since we all spoke Got me new t-shirts on JP. Judas. Yeah, we had the Kingston t-shirts. Ah. Got to clean for the day. What a mistake that was. Well, it, getting on to the gear, they, they said it was a Misawa tribute. I it saw was, it was Tracy uh, Smothers. It was so. I've seen. I saw it was raving about it, saying it was great. He looked 
awful. And I love Eddie Kingston. I don't love the sour, but like baggy basket, green basketball shorts. And he's he's a kawada man. Yeah. I think people ripped about it because they want to be, like they see he did some sentimental gear to him, so they want to be nice about it. But um, it was really bad gear. I honestly thought he looked like a dad that mm. had put on his kid's Power Ranger costume and, you know, ripped it. That now he's getting his big chance. He wanted to go with the Masawa gear rather than the Kawada gear, JP. But like, just like you're saying, mm. just dress him all, all black. Just, just that, that's all he needs. When he came and out and he had the Tracy Smothers t-shirt on, he had the bandana on. How fucking badass did he look? And then the camera pulled out and he's wearing yeah. Power Ranger shorts. Like, maybe it was, yeah. Like, I thought, I thought it was a beautiful. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, thought, I thought it was a beautiful tribute to Hornswoggle. I <laughs> <laughs> also like, to me, green is um, like virgin on what I would call like comedy color. Like, it's not the most serious color. And if you're in this like brutal death match, um, I, I just wouldn't wear green for that, you know. <laughs> it's a bit Hurricane Helms, isn't it? To go back to the extreme deletion, mm. didn't want to put that memory in there. <laughs> Beyond that, though, uh, in, in terms, of, he's come a long way since we all spoke to him in that kebab shop, hasn't he? It's, it's good, good to see. He's lost, he's lost a few friends, but he's come a long way. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for the better. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of these types of matches I've said many times before but this is exactly what this type of match needed to be and it was what it allowed to do is when it was in between the kind of spots they're both intense enough and kink and kingston's like doing the kind of like stuff where he's going to pick up the barbed wire and then he drops it which is basically just a way to get it into the ring for the finish is what I figured they were going to do that kind of um the choke with the barbed wire it's the kind of it's how you end those kind of matches, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of go-to finish. And so, like, once they'd kind of done the brawling and it went inside and it got that kind of bit more hardcore, I thought it sort of picked up for me. But it had a real intensity throughout and it added on to the sort of good streak of John Moxley main event pay-per-view matches, which always seemed to me to fall into this 3.75 to 4 star range and i went 3.75 on this as well and i think i think it's very good and it picked up it would have been how i would have felt about it again if say like the the extreme deletion wasn't there but if you had this going from sort of two and a half to the three hour point in a show that that would have been like you would have thought what a what a fucking card um I, I did really like it. It, it. He's done. He's made. Talk about making the most of what you have, as you guys have said as well. Um, it, it, it's just an absolute credit. But it also shows the kind of the if you if you can deliver a promo like that, it's promo guys who are kind of getting there in the company a lot of the time, and that's why we mentioned Ricky Starks because like he's someone who can deliver it. It's it's a key part of what AEW are using in order to kind of get that top tier talent over. And I don't know the role that he'll fulfill for me. Like I, I assume it's going to be the feud with pack. That's good. Cause if that's a way of setting up pack to become a title challenger as well, I think that's great. Like I'm kind of all in on that as well. So given how he came into the company, like going from the point of having to sell his gear, headlining a pay-per-view 
it'll probably do the same as what the last one did, which is what 90,000 to 100,000 that mark generally. He'll have been, you'll be thinking, okay, he's delivered on everything he needed to do. And he worked as hard as he possibly could in that match. And he made sure to get it over. And he looked like he was in tears by the end as well. And it was like a hell of an effort. So, yeah, I liked this more than I thought I would do. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think we were talking last week and I was saying that while I like appreciate and, well, love Eddie Kingston on the mic, I'm certainly not an in-ring Eddie Kingston guy. And, like, I wouldn't have been excited about, you know, I can't ever remember being excited about seeing Eddie Kingston in-ring. But this match was, you know, obviously, you know, it was almost like classic old-school wrestling to me. It was you know, talk them into the building kind of thing. It was like literally, you know, Ben was like the prime example of that in in, in a way. And they're saying there, he came out of Dynamite and just wanted to buy the pay-per-view immediately. And that is like, that is old school, isn't it? Come out of the building, you want to buy your ticket for the next event because like you can't wait to see what's coming. And, you know, I was very much in that position as well, that the feud had just been built so well that even though it was Kingston, we'd seen him on TV a few weeks ago, have a match with Moxley, I was dying to see this, you know, see this match. And, you know, you know, I, I mean, I went higher than both of you. I went four, like for me. Like, I thought this match was absolutely everything that it needed to be. I think it was, it, it just totally, you know, it, it, it delivered from a hatred point of view, an aggression point of view, a violence point of view, a, like, getting across the meaning, what the match meant to both participants, you know, that came, that totally cut through as, as, as well. You know, I just thought it, it just really like resonated in all those different areas. And, you know, I went on a big rant here like a couple of weeks ago about the I quit match at the WWE match, the hell in the cell that we watched. And, you know, the, the Roman Reigns thing, like that match had nothing that would potentially have made a man want to quit in this kind of brutal scenario against the other man. You know, the ref was asking, do you quit after a big splash off the top rope? Here you've got somebody getting a fucking, you know, <laughs> you know, a bulldog choke applied to them with barbed wire around their face kind of thing. That will make a man quit kind of thing. And, you know, that is the way that a match like this should be presented. You know, I generally hate I quit matches for the points that you have raised earlier about the ref sticking his mic in someone's face all the time and do you quit, do you quit kind of thing. But, like, this was brutal. It was genuinely, genuinely, you know, <laughs> like really two guys who were just play- putting it all on the table to try and not only try and win the title, which ultimately, obviously, Eddie Kingston was looking for to, you know, give him that, you know, is that is that that credibility, that distinction that, you know, I can hang, I am as good as everybody else out there. This whole career hasn't been meaningless. You know, there's been a reason why I've been, I've put all these miles on the clock and put all this effort in. But also, I want to get the better of you the person that you're up against in the ring as well and prove that I'm the, you know, I'm the better man. And it, like, I thought it was great. I really did. You know, it was the best Eddie Kingston match I've ever seen. And again, like I, I saw a lot on Twitter, like leading up to it of people saying, Oh, they've got to put the belt on Kingston, you know, or, and at an element of disappointment afterwards that they didn't put the belt on Kingston. And I, I didn't want that to happen. Like, you know, I really felt like the way Moxley has been presented for, the 12 month period or whatever that or as, as long as he's had the belt anyway and then leading into the hangman and kenny stuff next year the way that's going i think that's all going to piece together 
nicely. You know, I don't think Kingston should have won, but I think the way that it was presented and, and the way that he came across in, throughout the whole feud, the way he came across in this match, he's walked out of it a made man, and he's not like he's not the man to build your company around. He's, he's not the man who you want to. You know, he sh- I don't think he should have been given like a cursory one month title reign, and then they flip the title back or something like that to then feed into the Hangman page. I almost feel like he's stronger as a result of this and the way that the match went and ultimately the way the finish was. And he can then be used verbally and then in these type of physical matches in the future to, again, progress other people in the company, but sustain himself at that level. And like, yeah, great stuff, great stuff all around. You know, who'd have thought this time last year, you know, you say to someone, we're going to have John Moxley against Eddie Kingston. If you said to us in that kebab shop with Eddie Kingston at the end of the year, we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about you headlining a pay per view for AEW. That's going to be a four star match that people are going to be raving about the build for weeks. And you know, you're literally going to be there at the top of the table. I'd have thought you were fucking mental if you'd have told me that, that night. You know. For the episode images, now I'm gonna to have to get the kebab shop image and chop out that really problematic person who's ruining that photo. But the less said about Joe, the better. And we'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm only messing. Joe can stay in the picture. There are other problems with that picture. Yeah, there are. Yeah. No, no, we definitely need that. Uh, that that picture there with the sixth member of Grapple, Eddie Kingston. <laughs> That's our dude. Um, but yeah. You know, again, I think we're all pretty much uh, singing from the same hymn sheet on that one. And with you, Gareth, I wanted to believe Eddie Kingston was going to win the title. I wanted to be invested in that, but realistically, it wasn't happening. I know, you know, the the conspiracy theory was, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. You know, there's uh, if Moxley's going over, he's going to have to leave for a while. Maybe there's that, and you know, Steph, you put a whole uh, another one of your uh, <laughs> your theories on it on the timeline about that. You know, could could there be ready young involvement? Because could could they do something like that? I would have enjoyed that good little kidnap angle, but didn't happen. Uh, my theory, <laughs> my theory was Richard Rose kidnapping Renee. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been one way to make them say I quit. Uh, I think this way was probably. <laughs> Do you see him? I, I don't see him going over there. Do you? Moxley? No, we're not. Um, no, like not for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, just with like the isolation period and it being over, like you are giving up your Christmas to go to Wrestle Kingdom mm. as well, like stuff like that. Spend in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do to get out of it, though. I think the fact that it's Kenta with the briefcase and Kenta lives in the US, then there is a deal that could be worked out for this match to take place US. What would be really cool, actually, that's just come to me is if we have a situation um, where during Wrestle Kingdom, we go to a live feed of some unknown location that's somewhere in the US with a ring and it's Moxley versus Kenta. In the harder compound. <laughs> Not <laughs> But I think that would be really... I think that would be really cool, actually. Like a just like a cool little little moment. Gonna have to be creative. It's, yeah. Well, it, it, it relies on people getting together, doesn't it? Yeah. And if there's nothing that's been made kind of clear about the kind of overtures about like it, the references now are just sort of relentlessly heavy. I mean, I get Impact wanting to get involved in this because it's a place for them to take kind of feeder talent. 
and gives them some exposure. I mean, there's there's all manner of benefits for that. And somehow, you know, an impact kind of jumping onto a relatively hot product. But I think for New Japan, like the one thing that you would hope is the fact that they seem to have thawing relationships, relations with impact, that maybe AEW would be the next kind of place to go because they all need this, especially during COVID times. Everyone could do with the boost. If you're not going to get um, fans into arenas, not on the level that you're kind of expecting and you're relying on that live business. I mean, I know this is fantasy land talk, but it it's so mutually beneficial. It really is. It feels like that moment in The Sopranos. Who's the Frank Vincent character? Uh, is he in hospital? And I think it's, um, and Tony just goes, there's enough for everyone. Don't need to fight. And it really feels like, like the kind of smart bit of business would be letting Kent have that match on AEW television. I don't know. There's like nothing better. That wouldn't happen. There's nothing better AEW could do though to further um, make themselves the company that wrestling fans like over WWE than to have a relationship with New Japan. And it doesn't have to be some like really overdone thing. It could literally mm. just be little things happen like Kenta versus Moxley. And then if they if they seriously present it like one super show a year or something with like crazy um, matches of someone from New Japan versus someone from AEW, like that's total money. But also I think the pandemic with what's happened with a lot of the, the Gaijin wrestlers, I have a feeling that some of them who were very happy going to Japan and coming back are now a little bit like, why are we doing this when we could just wrestle in America? I think some of them might have that mindset of like, is this worth the trouble? Especially when you now have a company like AW existing. And if they had like a nice little relationship, it could allow people that are maybe feeling like that to actually wrestle in America more and stay in Japan. Yeah, definitely, definitely positives to both sides, and you know it's going to depend on what happens as far as being able to travel. Because that's the other thing with Moxley is even even if we yeah. can fantasy book it, like you know going there, coming back, it's not it's not as easy uh, as it sounds, and the world is constantly changing. But I suppose while we're talking, it um, unfortunately we haven't uh, got a huge amount of time to talk uh, power struggle. Um, there are still some people hanging on in the chat though, quarter past one, and they're still here with us. Fair play. Uh, <laughs> I'll chop a bit out of that first half hour where uh, we were all talking over each other because of the technical issues. It'll be fine. We'll have time uh, to talk a little bit about power struggle. Let's maybe hit the uh, the main stories coming out of it uh, more than anything. Um, biggest one being the J one is not over. Um, we thought uh, Stefanori had a, a victory lap, and I think we're gonna have a, a second victory lap here on this podcast today. Uh, Jay White is uh, is back in uh, position, beats Kota Ibushi to to win the briefcase. Uh, I saw. I listened to. I don't, did anyone listen to Observer Radio this morning? Yes, we're gonna fight about it. Oh my god! I thought Brian and Dave were gonna have a fist fight. Like Belts just like, well, it makes sense. They've got two. They got two Tokyo Dome's to fill, and Alvarez is just like, right. But it doesn't make any sense. Why is Kota Ibushi getting a title shot anyway? And it's like, that was what this show was built for. It was to set that up. I'm just not sure whether creatively they did the best job of doing that. I think the, the Jay White thing is, as we talked about on the roundtable, JP, like we we pretty much predicted it. You know, you've got to do that upset one year and this felt like the year. It felt 
odd that Kotorobushi won the G1 again. It felt like a red herring, um, and it kind of was in the end. So I don't mind that part of it. Um, it's just the other part of it with you know this Naito Evil main event that, as I mentioned earlier, went half an hour, and I'll be honest, it's sort of about five minutes ago of it because I was in a queue behind the Manchester United team bus. Uh, it was yeah it, it was there to be an angle though again and that's exactly what it was uh, to allow Abushi to, to save Naito and now apparently in the backstage interview Naito's talking about giving Abushi a title shot on January the 4th because well he did win the G1 after all um, yeah I, I feel like I get it like Meltzer keeps saying you've got to fill two Tokyo Domes but I don't know I think there's probably a more creatively fulfilling way to get to that point and it does make the briefcase a little bit pointless now that even though you lose the briefcase, you still get your title shot. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I should probably go to you first on this one, Steph. I know you were uh, doing somersaults at, uh, at Jay White, uh, cashing his way into the uh, the January 5th main event. Uh, what did you make of this as a show? And uh, how, uh, how shocked were you to see the uh, the J1 alive and well? Uh, as a show, honestly, it only kicked off for me uh, during Jay's match. I wasn't that invested before. And... I don't think I was that hyped for Jay's match because I did not see him winning that briefcase. Um, as far as storyline making sense, it does not make sense that Kota still gets his title shot. I mean, when, once Jay took that briefcase off, off him, I was ready to be like, ha ha, like fuck all you that were invested in the G1 <laughs> because it's led to this, you know. Um, I, it Obviously, they... I don't I, I don't see the point at all actually of Jay winning the briefcase because really you could have just given Kota a match and then given Jay a match uh, for the belt as well I without maybe. Yeah, but you you literally could have given Kota the um January 4th match against Naito and then you could have had Jay but like you could have done some other match or even done Jay and Kota not for the briefcase and been like look Jay you've done so well you have earned you know a match you're like the next contender under Kota which kind of makes sense anyway because Jay has a win had a win over Kota before so I mean you could have done something like that that didn't lead to this briefcase exchange stuff that doesn't make sense um I personally would have done uh Kota no Jay Naito January 4th Jay wins faces evil January 5th and I know people wouldn't like that much because Evil's in it, but put something really as epically strong just under it. But that's just because I do want this whole Bullet Club breakup wolf pack storyline to happen. But the whole like this whole show was basically about Jay because he's he did some incredible acting throughout the whole whole match you know like we had him in the main event as well which he he was desperately needed in that main event because Naito and Evil like that is absolute absolutely puts me to sleep it's they're not good together they're they're really really not um but you know like the exchange of the briefcase at least it's not as bad as what they did in wwe to otis and his briefcase i think uh <laughs> kota oh kota won out um but yeah it was great like jay um he's playing a really good heel role, which he needs to do against Coda. I loved when he came out in the main event and decided to go after Naito because he wants that match with Evil, something that he's still not getting. Honestly, the only like thing that brought it down was literally the bit where he ran off at the end and Coda was too close behind him. 
that <laughs> bothered me. Panto. It was pantomime, and it looked like that. It looked like they were in a play, and Jay was the villain that ran out to the back of the curtain, and then it was like the lights were meant to dim. And then you see the other actors take their place back, except Kota didn't realize that the lights were still on. We literally saw him just wander behind him. And all I was thinking was like, oh, can we get a camera backstage to see him batter Jay? Because he's obviously caught up with him. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only time point, but I'm so happy. I'm so happy for Jay. And also like they're do- they've been doing so much else lately when it comes to... Um, Naito, Sonata, Evil, Osprey, that myself, but more so my mum, was worried that he would get lost in the shuffle. But no, he's still Gato's number one boy, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes. So I'm glad to know that. Steph's mum's number one boy as well. He is most certainly Steph's mum's number one boy. I did phone her um, (laughs) as soon as he won the briefcase to tell her that not only did he win a briefcase, but he got a new red jacket. That's the that's the headline story. Yeah, uh, JP, were you taken by the uh, the briefcase angle or the, the 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 fancy red jacket? Maybe that. I I mean I didn't mind the jacket as much. Like I say, it's carrying on the whole wolf pack. I've just seen a tweet from his. He's called himself like Drip Blade. <laughs> by all drip Drip Blade. That that that's what he said. What all the kids are saying. Um, guys. it's a young person thing, mate. I don't get it either. But you know, that more, that more power. It's, it sounds like a problem that a 50-year-old man would have to go to the doctors about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, look, you know, he's not, uh, you know, he didn't get the King Switch thing either. So he's not the, he's not the best at picking nicknames, <laughs> but he, he's constantly trying to find, to find a nickname that's... <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It really oh. is, isn't it? Oh, I've, I think I've got a touch of drip blood. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I, I just kind of felt with, like it, it took me by surprise, like everybody else. I didn't expect it. And I was kind of okay with it the way that it happened. I just thought, okay, so they're going to do White Naito. Okay, that's that's kind of interesting. But it was it's the way he's been given the title shot is the the, the thing that I really have the issue with. I thought like foot on the ropes isn't something you see very often foot on the top rope is something that you very rarely see um and so that whole bit was the bit that i kind of like oh all all very kind of exciting but i have to admit it feels like kota is going to beat naito and then beat jay white that's where it's kind of set up to go to as in this is the thing that they wanted to achieve which is crowning Kota Ibushi I think that that's what they're wanting to go for that's what I think personally at this point that's just the impression I'm getting that this is the time to do something with him because even though he may not look it he's getting on a bit in wrestling years although is he I'm not sure he's even human at this point (laughs) It just seems to be like a kind of living anime character who just never ages. Yeah. Um, but I, I still wonder with him, though, that, um, that that's what they're going to do. But the way they've got there is is bad. I think it's openly bad. Um, the things they've done around the main event scene have been bad, if we're going to be honest. Um, and it needs freshening up as soon as possible. And if we're moving... From Naito Evil to White versus Ibushi, fine. 
I, I would prefer that because I cannot watch Evil versus Naito again. I just fucking can't. <laughs> it happened. My eyes were fixed on the screen. I drifted off. Bullshit happened. Sonata ran out. I was just like, oh, I've been there and it's another half an hour. I'm not getting back. Um, on the upside, again, managed to do some washing, managed to sort out the, the dishwasher as well. I mean, they're the upsides to these main events, but that should not be the upside to a New <laughs> Japan main event. Well, is there anything Evil could do, do you think, to make him someone that you want to watch wrestle? Turn in a naked Midian. <laughs> wow. You know what he thinks? Shits and giggles. <laughs> That's a TW game, JP, if I ever heard of one. Will be, mate. We get round to it. It will be. I've been practicing out some stuff already, some early tricks. Hey, look, I know it's a video stream now, so you know, there's a chance. Thanks. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah, I can't see it with Evil. Uh, I don't know if you're any different, Gareth. Uh, I don't know. You any strong feelings on on this story? Or I suppose the rest of the card as well? There was, uh, there was at least a couple of good matches on the other card. Yeah, I mean, with the with the Ibushi White stuff, I mean, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was good. Um, you know, I give it 3.75. I enjoyed it for what it was. I liked the execution at the end of it all. I think... I love Jay White holding the briefcase, getting Abushi's face, like just being a proper shit house kind of thing, just like, you know, like two sweetening his face together and things. I was like, yeah, that's what I want from a heel. I just want him to be making Ibushi feel like absolute shit at this moment. And that's what he was doing. But I think the biggest sad problem I have with, with Ibushi is that, like, I almost feel like he just looks like the biggest loser, I think. I don't, I don't know how credibly I can take Ibushi like these days like he sort of pulls is there sort of left pulling that kind of vacant face in this match where he's just like stunned kind of thing that this has happened and he's just sat there open mouthed as he's been you know like his you know this has all fallen apart for him and you know on the back of obviously like Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year where he lost both nights as well kind of thing and it just he just feels like a loser to me a bit. And like, I know obviously he's come through the G1 and won it, but he was certainly wasn't coming into that from a position where people felt like, yeah, this is Abushi's time. He's going to win it again. He's going to go further. He wasn't, to me, he wasn't coming from some feeling of like mass top guy credibility. You know, obviously he was doing the tag stuff with Tanahashi and things. And I don't know if there's enough time almost between now and the Dome to make me feel like, Ibush is more than this loser kind of thing. Like, I think my mind like almost like harks back to. It feels a bit like Gargano in NXT, where he just like just lost again. Like he just couldn't do it again, kind of thing. And like he just felt, you know, eventually like the the positivity just sort of washed off him a little bit. He just started to feel like just a bit of a loser. And like Ibushi feels a bit like that to me, really. And. The idea of him coming out of the dome with the belts on Ibushi, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't want that. I want Jay White now. <laughs> like I, I really feel like, him. like when JP, when you said that, then JP, like mm. I just, I don't think it is. I just don't think he's seen as that important. I think that's kind of what the lesson we're getting from this this briefcase taking. Do you feel that if we'd had the Omega match, that would have been different? The Omega Dome match. Yeah, I if think we... that would have catapulted Ibushi. Um, to both 
New Japan and more to fans around the world as well. I think that would have been... He's a 1B at best, or a 1C, really. He's not... He's not the top. Yeah. Well, let's hope the dome's about Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, right, Dom. Well, I mean, in terms of the Night of Evil stuff, to be honest, I I think I probably enjoyed this better than any of the other matches. I haven't gone back to compare, like, what my rating was for... for Oh, you're going to rewatch then. Don't do that. Oh, don't, don't, don't worry. I'm not doing that. But I think I, I think I gave this like three and a half. Um, so I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, gave, I gave this three and a half, and it probably wasn't for the. I think it was probably for the story as a whole that this the vehicle that this match was used to to tell the the work itself was fine kind of thing. I think it was getting into the realms of the clock was ticking and I was thinking, oh, here we go. We get into like another half an hour painful, you know, evil match where evil's best work, obviously, as we've talked about before, comes in 15 minutes, not half an hour. You know, that's when you're likely to see the best thing out of it. But this was one of the rare occasions where I felt like the interference at the end actually improved the situation in New Japan of late. I actually enjoyed it a bit more kind of thing of, there was a lot going on and it suddenly it seemed like quite up-tempo and upbeat and you were thinking like shit what's happening here and it made you sort of like think about what was going on and as much as I hate like Sonata like he looked cool as fuck coming out in his white gear and just like disposing of those two I I was just like you look a million bucks you look like a you you look this is the night this is the Sonata trap isn't it like because he looks so good that you just think this is a guy, he, he should be leading the company kind of thing. This guy in this white suit here who just looks like like perfection, but then, what is it, then the bell rings kind of thing. But like... Um, Narcissist, mate. But, <laughs> but that, then, that is the hot guy you take home from a club. Yeah. <laughs> that was... Lex Luger for hipsters. <laughs> awesome. I love it. That That is perfect. Absolutely perfect. And there's the show title, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I love it. But then just the fact that, like, getting Jay White in, in at the end and again, just getting over that, like, shitbag stuff as much, like, while Ibushi's there with his dumb face again, like, dumbstruck by the whole situation that he's, like, caught in, like, when Jay White's saying to him, like, why are you out here? He's got the belts and I've got the briefcase. You've got nothing. Like, kind of like, why are you here? I was just like pissing myself. I was like, what an arsehole. What an absolute arsehole. And like, it was just brilliant. I, I loved it. And to be honest, I didn't even realize that, I didn't even realize that they were going with this Naito Ibushi on day one in the dome. Like I'd obviously like seen, seen those, those bits. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is just great that setup and I mean I, I hate I hate this idea now that I, now that I'm hearing this that it's going to be Ibushi on day one going for the belts as well that just feels just ham-fisted and just like there's it's illogical and you know there's the, the, there's no reason for it when when Jay White started talking about day two of the dome I'm challenging for the belts I thought great we're not getting some kind of like double scenario like like we had last year going for going for both the belts and like I don't know. That that would be better for me is just going straight to that that as the main event on the second on the second day. But you know, all in all, as a setup for putting things forward for for the dome, like I love the I, I love the way this worked, and and both those both those matches were probably um, probably better than I expected them to be. Uh, where are we on the uh, the undercard, everyone? Like the uh, 
I've got to be honest, like I was, I'll be, I was struggling with this. Like it was eight in the morning on a Saturday. It was super Saturday, like I said, you know, lots of Premier League to watch in the daytime. There was AW in the night and I was all hyped for it. I don't know. I, I, I struggled to get into this card. Like, I don't know whether it was the early start or whether I feel a little bit like after the G1, mm. I unplugged from New Japan. And then I was just like half asleep, thrown back into Yano and Zack Sabre Jr. doing a no corner pads match. And by the time it got to Suzuki and Shingo, like, I could tell something good was happening in front of me, but I just wasn't really, I didn't feel invested in it. Like, I went 3.75 on Grapple. That's not a bad match, but. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing really on this undercard really spoke to me too much. I don't know. It was a combination of the the crowd not being great. You know, they weren't great for for Great Okada and uh, and Okada in there. They had a pin drop of points. Um, even you know, even by clap cloud standards. Um, I don't know. Just something about the show felt a little bit underwhelming. Um, like I say, there was a couple of decent matches there on that undercard. You know, Tanahashi and Kenta was a solid little match as well. Uh, I don't know, but what do you reckon, JP? We've gone through these summers and mm. autumns this time uh, with these G1s, and you, we do always struggle, don't we? How many times do we come on this podcast yep. this time of year and go, oh, I'm struggling to get into to New Japan again? Uh, obviously, creatively, there are issues. We can't deny it. Um, but it does feel that normal time of year where I'm struggling to feel motivated for New Japan. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I struggled. Did you watch this one live? I did watch this one live. Um, the issue I had with it was so much of this was the kind of it was a link back to the G1 and it was repetition of stuff that we'd seen pretty much during the G1 as well with the exception of Okana Kada which is the setup for a match that we did see in the G1 (laughs) which is Osprey versus Okada so there's this I got this feeling of like when I was watching Shingo Minoru Suzuki I was like I've been here before and I did like Ken to Tanahashi. I did think that was a bit more interesting for me. That was the match of of the of the card. Um, but even then, that was like a fine match between two people who weren't being set up to have the best match on the card. It was like the match sort of just after the interval for something that's a title shot as well. But but as a result, like I think there's so much of of this storyline wise that isn't particularly compelling really there's a lot of stuff that's kind of left off we don't have any junior stuff and we've been focusing on the heavyweights for quite some time and it's not like the junior judging by the the cards that they were announcing a half time during this which i kind of laughed at some which is not a nice thing to do but i say fuck me i wouldn't be going out for that like during a global pandemic fuck that what, like Dookie versus Master Watto? No. Hey, no. Who used to doubt Master Watto, JP? I'm me. And I'm doubting him. And I'm doubting him publicly. People said that about El Dandy and look what happened. Oh, where is he now? He's, Good well, <laughs> it's always a worry. With the Mexican wrestling scene, that's always a worrying question, potentially. The answer may not be something that you like. That's, um, that's one of my favorite memories when, uh, when P- Gareth, I love this, when PCW book Super Crazy. And he went a night yeah. out, on a night out with all the wrestlers and like one in the morning, oh. every PCW wrestler I follow on Twitter or I'm friends with on Facebook was just messaging, has anyone seen Super Crazy? And they'd lost them in Preston. <laughs> and that visual of Super Crazy lost in Preston, Lord knows what he was getting up to. Oh, love it. <laughs> but anyway. Was this, a, was, was this a Stanley, I hope? I assume so. I assume so. Think of the things you got up to there, JP. 
the pub of champions, mate. <laughs> Stuff going on, even if you're outside having a vape, you're looking around going, fucking hell. <laughs> Digress. Um, yeah. But I, I, just in terms of overall thoughts on the undercard, I thought, like, I've seen a better Yano Zach match in the um, in the G1, even though the finish was creative. I liked Kenta Tanahashi. I went 3.75 for the... For, I, actually, yeah, I went 3.75 for White versus Ibushi, even though I've just sort of said... Um, actually, well, no, sorry, I might have gone three points. I need to check. I need to check where the other one is on there. But generally, it felt kind of lacklustre. And I think the main event, sorry to bang on about it, that makes it lacklustre. I wanted to like O'Kan more. And he uh, he's a meme. Yeah. He's a meme. Let's just all admit it. He's not that good, and he's he might be one day. But when he was dressed as a Bond villain, they had something, and then they put this get up on him again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any strong feelings on the undercard guy? No, I, I feel kind of the same as you. Really, I, I ended up like sleeping in and just kind of just getting up as the Saber Yano match was was ending. So I only watched that back today, and like same as JP. I've seen that done better before, and like I like the spot at the end with the the tying the laces together, you know, and Zach's selling of that kind of thing is just brilliant. Like I, I just love Zach in comedy situations like that. I think is is good. That one was worth it for the Sid and Anne line from Rocky Romero with the uh, the scissors when uh, Zach was chasing the chasing the young boy down with the scissors. I, I thought that was uh, that was that was good to hear. Get on, that one sneak through. I think the other stuff like that was in there. Like Kenta Tanahashi was was good. I gave it three and a half. You know, it was like I, I, I you know, I enjoyed it. I think it was more probably sad than anything, really. That it was again, it was just that he's that another notch in the downward spiral of Tanahashi that he's just mm. verbally tapping in the in the middle of the ring, kind of thing there. And like Tanahashi's moving moving his way towards those um, eight man tags really at the start. Really, it's, it seems to be the seems to be the way unless there's a, there's a long term story there, which is quite sad. Those are. Uh, there was uh, elbows for knees, Benno, that you uh, referred to. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, Turn definitely him ta- heel. Definitely uh, taking the turn. I, I thought that during this match, I thought, I'd let, sure, has he got a, a heel dark in ace. kind of thing? I'm like, I'd, I'd, you know, it's got to be done, surely. I'd, I I'd, saw I'd, him I'd, being a heel in DDT, and he was fucking tremendous. Yeah, he was just playing sort of like he was doing the air guitar stuff. Sorry to interrupt, Gav. He was doing the air guitar stuff, and people were just like, they were t- I can't remember the match. It was a tag match. It was him and Shota Umino were in it. And then our, at the end of it, he gave a PowerPoint presentation. I'm not taking the piss. Instead of how he was coming back. It was a few years ago. Check it out. <laughs> but then the, the other stuff, I was, I was, I was like you said, Benno, that Shingo Suzuki match, like I'll give it 3.75. And you know, that's the, my type. I, you know, yeah. Shingo and Suzuki on paper. That's my, that's, that's what, like one of my matches, you know, I did. I'd always book for that, but it just felt like it happened to me, kind of thing. It didn't feel like it was anything more than the, the three point seven five. It just sort of felt just there, really, and like it was good, and it was yeah, it was. It just felt slightly underwhelming. I, I think the like if you said to me and you pinned me down, what was the main thing that stood out on that whole undercard? It was Osprey coming out in his fucking Moss Brothers suit that he'd hired for the occasion, and then just like with his fucking monocle or, or, or whatever his his his, oh. his, his, his pocket watch and his like supping his fucking like Lambrini at ringside or like you know it was it was it was just ridiculous. I just thought I thought Osprey just looked like. 
some Willy Fog ripoff or something like that. You know, it was just it, I, I couldn't help but laugh at it. You know, I'd, it just it just it felt more comedic than serious to me. And I think the whole thing about like, like ah, the whole shit with the, like the, when it, when he was doing the thing and he took the watch off and he threw the watch away kind of thing. I was just like, I, I was just thinking there's, there's two sides to this. It was like one, either there's some disappointed people out there who fucking contributed to a crowdfunder to buy a watch for Will Ospreay's dad because he can't make work because he can't get out of bed on time. And Will's been like, asked, yeah, my dad seriously needs a watch kind of thing. Can anyone can anyone pay some donations <laughs> towards this? Uh, there's either those people fuming that he chucked that watch away or more in line with the Osprey character, there was probably someone down fucking Rainford Market or something like that who's like sold him it for, you know, told him that it cost 20 grand and it actually cost 20 pence or something like that and fucking thicko will's gone and like paid out over over the odds or believes it uh for that particular thing but i just didn't like i didn't like it the look of the character nothing it just it just came across as a bit cheap looking to me which is ironic given that the, the fact that he was trying to do the whole rick flair you know these shoes cost this this jacket cost this kind of thing rick flair's rick rick for rick flair came across like a multi-millionaire doing that. Will Ospreay came across as someone who'd like bought a shitty watch off the market and rented a suit for the occasion. Doesn't seem to know who he is right now as a character. Um, mm. But, you know, workshopping things. I'm, I am, you know, I'm hyped for him and Okada, Wrestle Kingdom. Like that That match taking place on a Wrestle Kingdom. Is, is the match will be great. Is where yeah. we're going. It's just getting there. In a bubble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that or anything else, New Japan, uh, uh, Steph, or on the undercard? Uh, I think the only match that I rem- remember mostly is the Okada um, and Okada match. I was very confused. Like Okada, it, it's as if they, it's as if they do this like weird switch. Like I'll wear the suit one night and you'll wear it the other night. Like when Okada came out doing this comical entrance, it took me ages to even notice Osprey behind him as the guy in the suit um, and uh, like uh, at what point did we did, was it decided that Osprey's was this really rich guy like it's just not something I saw coming with him as a character like uh, I, I don't like someone whose whole um, character before was having these amazing matches where they could do these incredible things I don't know then why you would suddenly say, um, now I'm like, I want my character to be that I'm really rich, like Ric Flair, because the the Ric Flair character, the Ric Flair drip, like he didn't need to do all that flashy in ring stuff. He was just like, you know, he was a he was a great wrestler, but he was a wrestler that played dirty. And then he did all this arrogant stuff with the money and the suits and, and that all worked at this. This character does not work for a guy that does spectacular moves um, at all. And he actually, like, he reminded me of the Riddler in Gotham. He was giving me this vibe of not like a, you know, cool, great manager or something, but as like some kind of statistician type person the way he was outside I think like he's he was clearly going for this great rich manager look and to me he looked like someone from accounting or something that had come out to like do the numbers 
you know, like what watch the match and like take down some like 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 he he could be the person that's secretly behind the grapple up coming out to take down the stats during the match. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I've got to get my monocle. Yeah, carry on, Sophie. I was going to say it was like he was inspired. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Homer finds all that sugar? Yeah. And it's crashed by the side of the road. Yeah. And he's defending it. And he pulls out that kind of Englishman who dives in there. It just kind of reminded me of that level of that. He just thought, that's it. That's my persona. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I think if if Osprey is building this, this empire, um, maybe he should hire a manager who gets to wear the suit every day and it doesn't get swapped between him and Okan based on Gideon Gray. Gideon, yeah. Gideon perfect for this. Gideon Gideon's so great. He'd be so perfect for this. And Gideon can project that, you know, arrogance, rich guy, whatever you want. Because we know Will is like an Essex boy. And if he was to come out and do more of like a kind of like the only way is Essex style guy made rich, like flashy, you know, yeah, type in that way. Like that's more believable, like new money, but acting like Ric Flair, like that's a totally different, that's a totally different thing. Mm. Um, and the look and everything just didn't, didn't suit that. Um, Shingo and Suzuki, yeah, it's a match we've seen before and it's a match we're going to keep seeing because it's that, like, solid match you can put on the card. And this latest one, it didn't add anything to what they were doing, but, you know, it was still still an enjoyable match. And the only thing I can say about Kenta and Tanahashi is it is sad what's happening to Tanahashi, but I always feel like Kenta's the most hard done by guy in wrestling. So to see him actually hold on to his briefcase, so (laughs) it was a miracle. (laughs) On the Shingo note, I really hope we're getting Shingo Ishii in the dome. Mm. Just to put that in the mid card. Yeah. Give the lads a big match. You've got two days. We don't need six mans. Do that. No. None of that shit. Like that. Six months for sure. Oh, bring back the Rambo for old time's sake. <laughs> I'll take the Rambo. Couple of the old boys running in. <laughs> Let Kojima win it. What the fuck? Well, <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, I think uh, we, we could go all night, but uh, we'll have to uh, put a put something out there and, uh, and call it a day. Uh, I'll tell you what, after having all those technical issues for the first hour, we're flying now. I could easily go another two hours here. We've uh, we got the gremlins out. We, we worked it out. Uh, <laughs> there were some issues early on. You did was... very well, sir, seeing as, well, I won't lie, I contributed nothing to help during it as well. So. Congratulations. He did it all by himself while we all just sat here. Hey, yeah, Steph, you're hosting, better. you are hosting this chat right now, this uh, this video call on Zoom. Nobody uses Skype for these types of things, everyone. That's the lesson I learned. You can't trust fucking Microsoft and you can't trust Skype. Um, but yeah, we got there and now we know how to do it and it works. So yeah, if anyone saw the steam coming out of my ears in that first uh, 45 minutes, uh, it was all <laughs> worth it because now we know how to do it and we can do it again. So yeah, we'll have to... Uh, Doing all of these uh, these video calls uh, again soon. Hopefully, uh, the people who've stayed up with us till quarter to two in the morning now, and there still are a few people that fair play. We appreciate yeah. it, uh, especially Thank those, you. Uh, the likes of Chris can those hardcore Bulgarian lads. <laughs> yeah, I'd uh, show it in the chat as well. Um, I suppose the only thing to do is uh, yeah, we'll get our plugs out the way. Uh, Steph, as you said earlier, you've been very very busy. Uh, we where can people uh, 
find your great work from this week. It has been the uh, the Stephanie Chase week on uh, on YouTube for certain. Yeah, you can find me at YouTube at Stephanie Chase Wrestling. Um, yeah, please watch FTR and the Good Brothers. That's the best one to watch, to be honest. <laughs> watch the Good Brothers. And um, every Thursday, catch me on Wrestling Daily on Wrestle Talk 2 with Alex McCarthy. It's really great. It's live. There's a live chat. You can give me all your opinions. And it's the day after Dynamite. So, like, what better day to give your opinions on a wrestling show? And uh, JP, you got to plug it. I want, I want to hear it. That, uh, your polit- <laughs> it could be said with Will Cooling. Pod- podcast of the year, in my opinion. Like you <laughs> There's a point in that forty at, at about forty-five minutes, the best the best thirty seconds of audio I think I've ever heard. Uh, in all seriousness, no, you, you did a killer job on that, so people should definitely listen to it. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It was, yeah, it, there was a bit of wrestling towards the end, but it was pretty much non-wrestling. But um, no, it was fantastic. Loved doing it. That was one about the. We went on the assumption that Biden was winning, and and thank God that was right. Um, and a lot of stuff that you know, sort of going into what the next possible solutions are. Spoiler alert, I think Trump is a flight risk. I'm just going to throw that out there now. <laughs> Under investigation by the Southern District of New York, state crimes can't be cleared federally. Anyway, um, so talking about that on there, but also as you referenced on the, uh, just to go back a little while, recorded it, the uh, G1 um, New Japan Roundtable, which predicted what was going to happen for this and that Jay White was going to win. So if you haven't heard that yet, go back and have a, have a listen to that one as well. Um, yeah, I think that's it for plugs, isn't it? Yes, uh, Gareth Grapple. Yeah. yeah, again, I mentioned it at the top of the show, obviously just massive thanks to everybody who used the uh, the Grapple link to to order AW Full Gear. Um, yeah, hugely appreciated getting those uh, getting those sales coming through that, that link and just getting that little kickback from Fight on those. So, yeah, thanks very much to everybody for, for those. Um, just obviously just yeah download the app if you haven't done already just make sure that you're uh, getting your ratings in there or even if you're just using it to to pick and choose the the best matches of the year obviously we're coming to the end of the year now so um you can obviously use the filter pick out the things that you maybe haven't seen yet and uh, get those all up for your for your match of the year lists keep an eye on grapple app on uh, twitter and we'll be posting again continue to post a few graphics and things like that just to give you a few top tens and what have you to to keep you interested in those but uh otherwise keep listening to the podcast uh, you can find me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. Uh, I'll be on the British Wrestling Experience next week with Martin and Ian Ham- Ian Hamilton. Uh, we might have given the game away on the last podcast. I don't know that was announced yet, but everyone <laughs> knows now. Uh, and if you want to head to postwrestling.com, you can get yourself some merch as well. That's the hat I've been wearing today. Mm. Nice uh, postwrestling cap uh, posted over by waiting. Only took about five days to come as well, so impressive uh, from Canada that. Uh, so yeah, check out postwrestling.com for the uh, next episode of that. And yeah, we'll be back uh, next Monday for all our, our normal episodes, our normal shenanigans. And yeah, hopefully if this uh, experiment was a success, we'll be back uh, sometime soon doing video as well. But again, that's it for us for another show. We'll catch you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
House in 2016. You know, famously, the media treated it for a long time as an entertainment story. But also, I think the Republican Party didn't quite realize the extent to which it was, you know, something was rotten in the state of Denmark. And so he may try and run in 2024. But I simply think there's going to be a lot of people who simply spent their time trying Sorry, was that my ke- was that my kettle? <laughs> I'm really sorry, Simon. Many of I was listening as well. I just had the headphones on, but I'll stick to water. Sorry, um, I, I know how important cups of tea are. I don't want to deny that. Simon, and then we'll take a break because my Sainsbury's order is just coming.